The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. I don't know when or where you are listening, but it is a cold and rainy afternoon here in Chicago, which means, in theory, it would probably be a perfect time to pop on this, our latest episode of Shaggin' Flies. This time, we spoke with Matthew Robertson, a baseball writer currently for the New York Daily News and formerly of, for a hot second, Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, Lookout Landing, among a few others. Uh, We talked about a ton of stuff over one of our typically unfocused and meandering two-hour space joyrides. Uh, Started with the Pacific Northwest, of which he is a native, so naturally we talked about that and his numerous stops along the Seattle sports scene. He told us about the comedy career that he started up and shut down along the way. Um, Relating to that, check out the link, the Carrie Underwood link in the in the notes just do it um we anyway there was uh <laughs> there was some prince love some love for mets fans a bunch of other stuff baseball and non-baseball so as always sit back relax and strap it down for episode 24 of shag and flies with matthew robertson But it was five nothing, and I was like, Boy, "All right, I don't need to. I don't need to be distracted, like looking behind me the whole time." You know, it's game one. It's game one. It's okay. Charlie Morton's hurt or something. Um, but anyways, Matthew, it's great to have you here. Thank you for joining us on another wonderful episode of Shag and Flies. It's awesome to have you here, and nice to nice to meet you. All right, and we. Are going to start talking a little bit about you. <laughs> I want to get the Matthew Ro- Roberson. I want to know if I'm pronouncing it right. Roberson, 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 Roberson. You almost Roberson. It. Damn it! You know, my first thought was it's Roberson. I was like, no, no, that's too obvious. Like former Oklahoma yeah, City Thunder guard Andre Roberson. <laughs> I know, right. tarnishing the family name at the shot. <laughs> All right. Well, I want the I want the Matthew Roberson Robertson. Did it again. <laughs> did it again. 
I'm just never going to say your last name. You're Matthew, like I want you misspell the name even though it's in the email signature. Yeah. Oh my god. You know, I had that happen one time quick quick already a quick tangent. One time, so my middle name is James. So my uh with my first name and middle name, my initials are BJ, which you know was great in middle school. And uh one time at my old job, my email address was BJ Palmer uh at whatever and i was emailing a client i worked in ad sales at the time and i was emailing a client and my signature said you know thanks ben palmer and the guy emailed me back and said hey bj thanks for blah 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 and he called me bj the whole email and i'm like what <laughs> like what made you think just like i'm just gonna call you bj now like i didn't ask for that there's nothing in my email to suggest that I wanted to go by that. <laughs> it was the most. It was the weirdest thing. I can't imagine being the person who's like, "I'm going to give you a nickname right now, and you're going to well, like it." <laughs> as someone who is named Matthew, I'm very familiar with that. People, I'm like, sure. So I've gone by Matthew my whole life. It's like what my parents intended for my name to be. There was no, there was no Matt in the equation at all. Oh, interesting. So when I've met people for my entire life, I've said, "Hi, I'm Matthew," and then. People will then assume that I mean Matt. I'm like, oh, hey, Matt, nice to meet you. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, it's not what I said. <laughs> you said that wrong. Clearly, you meant. Yeah. yeah clearly, so you were like, you. Clearly, you thought that we were in a more formal setting. <laughs> right. That I will say though, I have never yet. I I have never yet. I have never, and I don't think I ever will meet a Benjamin who goes by Benjamin. I I. Firm, I firmly believe only sociopaths go by Benjamin. That's insane. Who? I don't know why anyone would do that, except for maybe Benjamin Button. But anyways, Matt Few, Robertson, nailed it, nailed it, perfect. Uh, I would love to hear your origin story. Where are you from originally? Where are you now? Uh, how did you get into sports writing? All of that. All tremendous questions. I'll start <laughs> at the beginning. I'm from Sammamish, Washington. Uh, it is. You guys ever been? Never, never been to the PNW. No, never done. I that. furthest furthest west I've ever been was South Dakota. So. Oh wow. Okay. Have you ever drank a four loco on a boat? <laughs> no, no, no. I haven't. Okay. That's that's. If people say yes to that, then I usually say, okay, you've been to some mamish water. That's kind, of, that's kind of the vibe. At least it was when I was growing up. It's getting bigger and bigger by the year because Microsoft headquarters are in the next town over in Redmond, so it's, oh. it's growing a lot. Well, actually, when when my family moved there, it wasn't even a city yet. It was still part of Redmond, and then Sammamish got so big that they were like. Okay, you've earned city dumb or whatever. So <laughs> that's where I'm from. It is like as suburban as suburban gets. It's like living in an arcade fire sound. There's nothing <laughs> like unique about it besides the lake, Lake Sammamish, which is where the drinking four locos on a boat happens. Um, and the sort of the social economy, at least when I was a kid, the way it worked is like if you had a boat, you were cool. And if you didn't, you were trying to get on other people's boats. So that was a lot of my like middle school and high school experience, especially in the summer, just trying to like figure out how to be close to the boat people. Um, it's not like a place you would ever go on your own. Like that's kind of something I find interesting about it. Like when I ask people if they've been, I'm obviously joking because like if you're not from Washington, you, there's no chance you've ever been. 
It's like right, never, right. you maybe would pass through it if you were driving from like Spokane or like Boise to the coast. It's like the only way because it's along I ninety sort of. So if you're on I ninety heading west from like one of the eastern cities, you might see it. Like that's truly the only time it would ever happen. I think my parents moved there to like give me like a safe suburban childhood, which they succeeded in. Um, it's like about as uh, sterile as a place can be. It actually was named, you can look this up, this is a fact, Forbes magazine named it the friendliest city in America. A couple of years ago. <laughs> that's funny. That's, you know, that's funny. There's, there's so many, and you never really think about it. There's so many towns in the U.S. where it's like you have no reason to ever go there. Like everyone... <sighs> Like, I mean, so, like, I most currently, them, in my opinion. most of them, yeah, the majority of them, like, I currently live in the town of Edgewater, Maryland, which is okay. 15 minutes south of Annapolis. That's just, I usually just tell people I live near Annapolis because people know where Annapolis, or people have heard of Annapolis, but right. there's no reason for you to ever go to Edgewater. I mean, there's just this suburban little town that is, you know halfway between dc and baltimore and all the people who live in edgewater either work locally in edgewater annapolis baltimore dc and it's just like the place where all of us just kind of live and the towns around it are all the same thing it's just kind of like we all just kind of live here but our lives are you know our jobs and stuff are elsewhere it's that's exactly like sammamish it's very similar to that where like people go there to like have their life their work is in seattle or some people's work is in bellevue you know so like there's not a lot going on within my city what's that term it's like it's sleeper town like it's like dead during yeah is that the term for it yeah it was that yeah yeah that that makes it sounds exactly like where I live and where I grew up, which is just about five minutes away from where I currently live mm. in so the I same place say, my yeah, entire you're, life. You're still there. Yeah. That's very, nice I'm still you. there, man. Yeah. I, I grew up in the town of Davidsonville, which is, <laughs> that's uh, that's not a real <laughs> it's, it's it either is, made up or there's like 16 of them. There's no, Hey, Hey, <laughs> we yeah. Davidsonville, Davidsonville is home to a famous person, uh, which is oh, yeah. Travis Pastrana. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> he is born and raised in Davidsonville. Um, he, uh, That's it's cool, actually, honestly. yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I remember, so when I was in fifth grade, this was 2000, 2000, 2001. Um, one of my friends, uh, actually, well, we weren't super close friends. I, a guy I knew, um, I don't want to pretend like we were best friends or something. A guy I knew, uh, was really into dirt biking. And lived right near Travis Pastrana and used to go over to Travis's house all the time to because Travis had a dirt biking track out in his backyard. Um, And he would dirt bike out back there. This is, again, like fifth grade. This kid's like 10 and he's doing an adult dirt biking track. Frequently broke his bones and stuff. But in fifth grade, we had show and tell. And what does this kid bring in for show and tell but Travis Pastrana himself? What? I was just like, yeah, Travis is my show and tell. And we're all just like, okay, well, <laughs> we can't beat that. Like, I'm like crumpling up my picture of my dog or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, hey, Travis was trying to Oh, my God. Because it doesn't really mean anything either. It's like, like what do you, you don't hang out with Travis Rashawn. Like, you aren't friends. No. It's just like, yeah. hey, I've, I interacted with him once and now he's here. And like, that makes me 
cool. Yeah, it's such I, a low effort thing to do. I really respect <laughs> that kid. It's it's I live I live right. down the street from him, and I frequently go to his house to ride my dirt bike. And now he's here, so I guess I win show and tell. Like right. the literally the most low stakes thing ever. It's show and tell. <laughs> like no one cares. But yeah, Travis came in, and uh, yeah, I don't even know what Travis Strong is up to. I, last I heard, he was like. Didn't he try NASCAR for a while or something? I don't know. I don't know. I was big on uh, Fantasy Factory for a little bit. Oh, that's Rob Deerdeck, right? Which one was Nitro Circus was Travis Pastrana. I oh, watched that yeah. show a lot in middle school. Oh. <laughs> I didn't realize he was on a show. Yeah, he was. He yeah, is he the was on a show. I I believe it. He was. He is David Seville local boy. It's a name I haven't thought of in years, but I don't know any other dirt bikers though. So I mean, he's oh, obviously brother. around. You guys, okay, oh, this is where I, I spread the gospel of Matt Hoffman. I don't think Matt Hoffman is dirt biking. He's like a, just like all around bikes. But I, I like, he was a person where like I knew his name growing up. Like the X Games were like the G list of sports to me. So like, I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> would, stuff that I'd watch like sick on my couch during the right. day in like January, you know? <laughs> it's either that or like 1.30 in the morning when you're watching Sports Center for the fifth time in a row. Um, <laughs> anyway so matt hoffman was one of those guys and he's apparently like the god of bmx racing and i watched or not even racing i think just bmx in general like if there's anything you can do on a bike matt hoffman has done it but the reason i bring this up is because i watched the 30 for 30 about him during like the really bad part of the pandemic and i was like bored out of my mind and it is so good like you have to watch i don't say this lightly like you have to watch it because it's such a specific type of guy that i didn't really know about which is like guy who when he gets hurt just then finds other ways he can get hurt so this is a real <laughs> story from the from the movie he he was it was very hot rod like he was building ramps in his backyard and at one point he makes one that's 20 feet tall like this and then he oh, wow. himself 20 feet off of that ramp. so he's 40 feet in the air and spoiler alert he does crash he does go into a medic <laughs> A medically induced coma ensues. Ooh. But then when he wakes up, he's like, I got the perfect idea. I'm not going to do the ramps anymore. I'm going to parachute out of planes with my bike because that'll be easier on my body because there's no <laughs> crash. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if you do crash, I mean, you're dead. So, you know, if, it's, it's a one time only thing. I don't know. Exactly. If you find yourself there, just ask yourself, how did I get to a point where just jumping out of the plane is the safer option <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i'm getting at it's so funny to realize how his brain worked and him landing on that as like a backup plan like i can't do my extreme job anymore so i'm gonna take a step back <laughs> i really need to. yeah i'm getting older yeah. i really need to slow that's down crazy. i think i'm gonna just start jumping out of planes <laughs> and, like, yeah. I, dirt biking seems like such a in my mind at least a kind of suburban country suburban activity though it yeah, it makes sense. I'm 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 coming from I'm coming from Chicago, and it this is where I grew up mostly, and so it, these kind of strike me as the kind of places that I would kind of peer out my car windows and be like, "This is like weird." Wait, you don't know. get you don't get dirt bikers through the city because we do in Baltimore City. I will dirt tell you, bikers. Where's is there dirt in? The city? No, no. There was this thing for a while. I, I I don't know if they still do it, but when I was working at a TV station in Baltimore. There were groups of teenagers who would ride through Baltimore on dirt bikes, like through the city itself. And it was like, it was the most obnoxious thing because you're sitting there in a car in traffic and all of a sudden you're 
people are like they're just that's true. weaving I, I, through cars and you're like yeah like, go away i guess i guess i would make the distinction between the dirt bike itself and dirt biking as an activity you know oh yeah, yeah. no it's just kids riding dirt bikes. Bikes. <laughs> that yeah. brings that's a very point, important though. very important distinction because dirt biking as <laughs> yeah. transportation is like kind of cool in a way like, <laughs> i can see how you would think that like for a certain group of people like that is a cool thing to do dirt biking yeah. is like a hobby I've always said only white people have hobbies that can kill you. And I think biking <laughs> is definitely in that category. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The, the Like I said, the number of local kids who broke their bones at Travis Pastrana's house was very high. Like, it's just, maybe, it's, maybe that's how that kid got him to come to show and tell. He like, broke his, broke his arm there. And Travis was like, please don't sue. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. I'll come to show and tell or whatever. Because Travis at that time was probably like 20. Like he cared. <laughs> that's true the the dirt bike and also the atv culture in new york city yep. is pretty wild people will just ride those through the city like you were saying so loud weaving through traffic like people will like wheelie through the intersection yep. as it's turning red it makes me so scared for them and that's the <laughs> yeah. one where i'm like what who is that for like who is gonna stop you right Dude, that was so cool. Like, right? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Who's like the target audience here, right? That's like yeah. that's like the guys who rev their engines real loud or whatever when they take off at a red light. I'm like, what are you? What are you accomplishing? Like, do you think people are going to be like, oh, that's the cool guy? Like, can I get right. your autograph? Like, I, I don't know what throwing their phone numbers at you. Right, right. Like, just I don't know what you think you're accomplishing. Every now and then, I'm not going to lie. I uh, if I see like a douchey looking uh like teenager who's like doing wheelies every now and then i'm like you know i wouldn't be super you're wearing a helmet you could fall like just nice. just a just a brief humbling moment i don't want him to get injured i just want him to yeah. like be like he's like yeah i'm super cool look at me doing my wheelies and then oh no and then then he tumbles a little bit and gets up he's like oh maybe i shouldn't do that anymore something yeah. like just a brief humbling moment i don't want him to like break his neck or anything I'm with you, but, Ben. I feel like every every kid needs that that lesson of the like, oh, the yeah. thing that I was doing that was like the ego boost and needs to like also take me down a notch every now and then. Absolutely, I see these kids in my neighborhood. These kids doing that, being loud at like ten o'clock at night. Now I say this as I'm saying this. Too? I, say, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I kid you not. I kid you not. Like uh, a year ago, there were these teenagers outside. And they were like, they're being catch. loud. And I know, I know, I know how this sounds. And you're, you're like a step ahead of me. I, they were being loud and acting crazy and stuff. And I look at them and they're like really close to my car. And I was sitting there at my window, like just watching them, waiting for them. Just like, go ahead, touch my car. See what, ha like hit my car with your bike. See what happens. And then I had a moment where I was like, oh my God. I'm looking out my front window, basically <laughs> getting angry at teenagers who are on my lawn. Like, I was just like, what am I doing right now? But I was just, I was like really invested. I was like watching them for like five, 10 minutes. I was just like, they're going to hit my car. I'm going to flip out on them. These stupid kid. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is the dumbest. I've got, I've aged like 30 years in that one moment. I was just like, Oh, All I'm hearing though, congrats on having a lawn and a car. I don't have either of those. <laughs> I don't actually. I have. I live in a townhouse, so I wouldn't okay. say I have a lawn. But they were in front of my house, so it's the closest thing I've got to a lawn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyways, so back to your origin story. So you are from uh, a sleepy little town in Washington. 
How did you end up? You're in you uh you said you're in New York now, right? Live in New York now. Yeah. So how did you get from there? How'd you get from there to New York? How'd you get into sports writing? Oh man. Yeah. It was a very non-linear path. It was not (laughs) those are two separate questions. Oh, those those are two separate questions. So let's start with uh the getting from where you were from to New York. Beautiful. Okay, so Sammamish was my entire childhood, so from birth to 18 years old, lived in Sammamish, Washington. Then, I guess so then around 16, 17, when I realized that the next, like, logical step is college. I don't know if this applies to you guys. I know it applies to a lot of American kids where, like, I never thought about not going to college. It's obviously a lot of, like, layers of privileges and all that, but, like, it was just kind of unspoken, like, okay, after high school you're going to go to college. So I was like, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing. Yep. So once I realized that that was sort of the move, I also dawned on me that I could leave Washington. I did not have to stay there if I didn't want to. So I set my sights fully on California. Um, hmm. My dad went to USC. So I grew up as a big USC Trojan football fan. And that was like the dream school. I did not get in. Is in fact, a pretty hard school to get into, even if your dad went there. Um, So I got denied there, ended up going to the University of San Diego, which was great. Uh, Actually, a decent amount of professional baseball players have come out of there recently. Chris Bryant being the most famous one. Uh, Ah. It's a joke that I'm I'm better than him because I actually graduated and he did it. He was too (laughs) good at baseball. He was too good at baseball to graduate. You're going to tell him that if you ever meet him? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. That's the first thing I'm going to (laughs) say. Um, so I went there and I did the whole like college newspaper thing. That was always kind of, like, I knew that I wanted to do that. Even like as a kid, I would do like, like they, I, it's, you can't call them articles, but I would do like, like, this is true. I would do like power rankings, like MLB power rankings just on like a word document for no one. Like shit like oh that. God. I would do that yeah. all the time. And like growing up, I would play like MVP baseball, you know, and then I would have a scorebook with me to like actually keep track of what was happening. So I was like very, very in that life from an early, early stage. And like my parents kind of knew that like sports, some job in sports was probably like in my future. But I think the concern was also that I'm like pretty dumb, which is true. Like (laughs) I think it's important. I honestly do think it's important to like acknowledge that, like, especially in media, like everyone has this like, I need to be the smartest person in the room thing going on. And I'm like, oh, brother, I am almost <laughs> always the dumbest person in the room. And I love Dude, that. Yeah, that's that's actually a fantastic piece of advice for sports writing, uh, especially yeah. I have noticed this in fantasy sports writing. There are so many guys. I mean, there are so many guys just on the pitcher list staff alone, not not even counting all the guys at other all the folks at other sites. There are a whole bunch of people at the pitcher list staff alone who are three times four times as brilliant as i could ever hope to be at like statistics and math and things like that and you can try and get wrapped up in like i need to learn how to do these i need to learn how to do projections i need to learn how to invent a brand new stat all this stuff yeah but it's just you're gonna drive yourself nuts i did for a little while i was like i I can't i i tried learning some of this stuff and i was like okay it's helpful to have a have a knowledge of some of this stuff but i'm not going to do that that's just not who i am you just got to play to your own strengths and accept that you know you're not a mathematical genius you're not you know going to work in an analytics department uh at 
a major league baseball team because you have no idea how to code or how to do linear regression or any of that. And that's okay. That's not what makes you a good writer. That's, I think that's a great, never try to keep up and, you know, try to be the smartest person in the room. Just kind of play to your own strengths. That's what I was going to say. That's, that's my advice is like, if you're a math kid and like you like the statistics and you know how to code, are you interested in learning that? For sure. Do that. There's a path to getting jobs to do that. But if you're like me, and like, you know, you've realized that your strength is kind of in your voice and your personality. Like you can, you think that your writing can stand up on its own without having to be the statistical kind of nerd, then do that. Like you don't have to know the WOBA formula or like, you know what I mean? Like none of that matters if you're a good enough writer for it to not matter. Yeah. I, I've, yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about this too, because I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that baseball and baseball media in particular are still such white male dominated places that everything is kind of a explaining contest to some extent which uh, i think is something that happens when you get a bunch of kind of uh you know huffy white dudes setting the culture for people it's all about dominance and who is going to be the alpha and the smartest person and everyone's like i said kind of everything a lot of things turn into a contest and uh it's I, I I like I like that advice to some extent where it's just you don't it simply just don't have have to do that you don't have to buy into that culture you can just do what you do and it's probably enough because no one yeah. is actually that much smarter well, than and, you. yeah and and the beauty of it is when you get up. when you get somebody who is like the, the perfect example I think of is like we'll have people on the pitch list staff we have a whole data science team none of those people. Uh, most of those people, I, I can't say none of them. Most of those people don't write articles. What they do is they do all the crazy math stuff. I've gone to a handful of them for some of my articles and they do math that I truly do not understand. It's magic as far. I, I go to them with these big ideas and I'm like, I don't know. Can you make this work? And then they send me all this stuff and I'm like, I don't know how you did that, but that was cool. And then I take that and I turn it into like an article to write. So when you're able to fuse the two together, it's it works great. But you don't have to be everything. Like just be what you're good at yeah. and it'll work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that moment too. I worked at Fangraphs for like two months. It was very funny the way the timing worked out. Like I got hired <laughs> by Fangraphs. I was there for a very brief amount of time before the New York Daily News came calling. But at Fangraphs, I would have that where like I'd be in the Slack channel and someone would be like, oh, like I noticed that this, like the the way that the website is working, like these calculations, like this, you know, whatever the code that we're running isn't working. It's not showing this correctly. Let me go in and fix it. And they would like just do that. And that blew my mind. It was like, <laughs> yeah. they fixed, they just fixed Fangraphs like in the <laughs> blink of an eye. It's crazy to me. Yeah, that's, that's insane. No, I, I totally get that. And that's actually, that's a fantastic piece of advice. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the first pieces of advice I'd give to anybody who is trying to get into sports writing in general or writing in general, just journalism, yeah. just play and to your strengths. From personal experience too, I can tell you that it's also very funny a lot of the time. So this is my first year, like actually going to like press boxes and being credentialed at games and shit. And it's like, I would show up and like, First of all, I don't think a lot of them, like I was on Zoom with all of the New York media. So let me back up actually. When I got hired by the New York Daily News, I was mm, still yeah. living in Seattle. So I got hired remotely, was doing the job remotely. And that was in like May. And they were basically like, all you have to do is just get out here to New York 
out of playoffs, assuming that at that time, assuming that one of or maybe both of the New York teams would make the playoffs. So I was like, okay, sure, I'll try to move in like early September, which is what I did. Someone actually got there and I was going to the stadiums, like Yankee Stadium and City Field. I would meet all these people who I'd like interacted with on Zoom. And then I just realized like, oh my God, we are so different. <laughs> like these people, yeah, like yeah. you said, it's a lot of a lot of huffy older white men. But then even the younger white men, some of them you're like, oh, you're just like, I don't know. I don't I don't want to sound like a dick, but like some of them are just yeah. like, just weirdos, I would say the easy thing. Oh no, no, no. You're you're hundred percent right. Uh, the writer community as uh so I am a uh a healthcare journalist as my daytime job okay. and our entire news team are all quiet, weird introverts. Right. Like they're all just very like quiet to themselves. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm the only one on the team who has like dragged our news team to interacting with the broader company and be like, don't you want to make friends with people? And they're all yeah. like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to well, write and go so home. Because so much of this job is interacting with people. Yeah. Not only that, interacting with jocks. Like you have to <laughs> right. put aside exactly. your like your high school Infinity. bullying to like go talk to <laughs> Especially with the Yankees, like all these guys are nine feet tall, and you have to go up. Yeah, like, not hey, not just um. jocks. I mean, like like the the specimen, like peak specimen of athletes, <laughs> like these right. Adonises who are like the jockiest of the jocks. Those are the ones you have yeah. to talk to. <laughs> and I, so I think, like, legitimately, what helps me is like I dress the way I would dress to go anywhere. I talk to the players the way I would talk to anyone. Like, I'm not trying to do this like weird like. There's no veneer here. I'm just like, hey, yeah. man, what's going on? And like, I got a one-on-one -on -one interview with Aaron Judge by just doing that. I was like, hey, man, do you have time to talk? And he's like, not today. Let's do it tomorrow. Like, okay. And the next day, yeah. I showed up. I was like, yeah. hey, are we still doing this? And he was like, yeah, I guess. And we just sat down and talked. And everyone like, so I was still like pretty new at the job. Still am pretty new at the job. And I remember we were doing the interview in the dugout. And other journalists would like walk by and be like, what the? Fuck? How did he get that? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> I think in their head, they're like. Oh, the Yankees PR, like they're, you know, throwing the new guy a softball or whatever. Like, oh, he like, they're being nice to him. But I was like, I didn't go through the PR people. I just went to yeah. him and was like, hi, do you want to talk like normal people? Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And it was a good interview. He told me in that interview that like he, the most interesting part, the thing that like I thought was going to kind of take off more than it did is he like singled out by names, free agents that he's heard rumblings about like he was like yeah you hear about oh. Correa Seeger story and I was like oh Mercy. and then he said he doesn't like thinking about that because he quote might not like the way it looks so like when he thinks about next year's roster basically he doesn't uh -huh. allow himself to do that because he doesn't want to be upset about it so like he truly he told huh. me at least who knows if he's telling the truth he told me that he never right. thinks about next year's roster because of the possibility that he might not like it that's fascinating. No, and I think that's a great – I mean, the way that we've gotten interviews with MLBers on PitcherList is the same thing. We just kind of go to the player and be like, hey, man, like DM them on Twitter or whatever. Hey, you uh, yeah. want to talk? And they're usually because they're just people. They're like, uh, sure, I got nothing going on tomorrow. You want to come by yeah. the – you know, come by the clubhouse? Okay, and then you just do it. Like yeah. it's, it's just – it truly is that simple. I, yeah. I wonder if people skills kind of go a long way. Yeah, I wonder if there's kind of a thing that happens with younger journalists too when they get in that like in the clubhouse and they get in that environment and they see how the older folks are carrying on and carrying themselves and going about the job and then you kind of fall into line with the same old stiffness uh, that is that is not what you were talking about. So back up a little bit and yep. 
trace trace for us how you got to the daily news then are you i'm curious are you like a journalism person coming up like through um whatever yeah tell us keep keep going on the 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 matthew robertson story so i did i did the school newspaper in college and i was doing the sports section specifically so i kind of saw an angle there and the beauty of usd the university of san diego is that no one cares about sports there so i was able to kind of like do my shit in silence like people read it obviously but not like really so like it wasn't like it was also a weekly paper so like i was writing one article a week and a lot of times it was just like the story that had to be written you know like if uh let's say the women's volleyball team is in the nca tournament like that takes precedent that's a story you have to write so i did a lot of that where it was just like not a lot of creativity more of like just do what the school basically needs you to cover um, and then as I did it for longer, I did it for all four years. By my senior year, I was the editor of the sports section. That's when I was able to sort of like craft the sports section in my image, basically. And I was like trying to do more interviews, not just like game stories or like, you know, here's the final score. Here's all the stats. Like, that's boring. Like, it was more, I was trying to do more of like, let's talk to the athletes because they're the ones that have the most interesting story, especially like, college sports at small schools is like you meet some fascinating people because you meet people who are like a like i didn't even think i would be playing sports in college and then yeah. b the other one the other one that i thought was maybe more interesting was like oh no i'm like i'm going pro i'm like okay <laughs> like we're in the wcc like especially for like so basketball and baseball were d1 and volleyball um and then football was FCS, whatever Division One AA used to be called, and there were people there that like thought that they were like hot shit, and it turned out that one of them was right. I don't know if you guys know Jamal Agnew, if you follow the NFL. Huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah He's no. like like the fastest man in the NFL, and he went to the University of San Diego, where football is like less than an afterthought. Like huh. we, I'm sure if you ran the numbers, they get less attendance in a year than a lot of Southern California high schools. Like it's just it's just nothing. And he ran a four three at the USD Pro Day and got the Lions to draft him and then became like straight up one of the best kick returners of all time. <laughs> and then he got a better contract with the Jaguars now and like has to play for the Jaguars, which sucks, but he's getting paid <laughs> and then he's on yeah. offense now. Which is all to say that like it's just funny to me to realize that like some of the people who this applies to really all of life, some of the people who are like thinking that they're destined for greatness are full of shit and some of them are actually like either correct or believe it enough to like convince their brain that they are you know yeah i think that's kind of what happened with jamal but anyway so i was covering those kids like that was my job in college just to hang out with those kids figure out like where the good stories are riley adams was another one who's a nationals catcher now oh he was yeah at usd yeah he was at usd when i was there like all american like a lot of prospect hype and when i met him i was like I don't know, man, like to use the scout term, like the makeup didn't really seem like it was there. He just didn't seem like he cared very much. Mm. And I don't like this is also like, you know, don't come at me. Riley Adams stands like, <laughs> he could be a great player. I don't know. But when I met him when he was in college, I was like, I don't see what I don't see in you what Jamal Agnew has where he's like on a on a much different path mentally and physically. So that was my job. I would do all that. And then. I got a couple internships in sports during college. Like I would come home to Seattle for the summer and do some internships. One of them was with the Seahawks. I was a training camp PR intern, which meant my job was basically after practice, 
go up to sweaty football players who had just practiced for two hours in the sun and be like, hey, uh, so-and-so from the Tacoma News Tribune wants to talk to you. He's over there. And a lot of times they would say no. <laughs> and then my job was to be like, well, you you have to, essentially. That, that was not that was not fun. The job was fun, but that part was difficult for sure. Yeah. Man, that's that's interesting. Um so I was uh briefly distracted for a second because I don't know if you guys saw, uh, and this will not be relevant to people who are listening to this on like Saturday or Sunday, but hey, you know what? We're recording this during game one of the World Series. Charlie Morton left because he broke his leg. Oh my god! <laughs> oh no! I thought yeah. it looked like it bent a little funny on his landing. But yeah, like, that strikeout where he struck out Altuve. Uh, Usually, <laughs> when you break your leg, you don't walk off on your like. Uh, he uh, he fractured his right fibula. Ooh. On a, oh wait, no, it wasn't on that strikeout. It was on a, com- a it was on a comebacker. Yeah. That's oh. right. So after that, so before that strikeout. He had, uh, yeah, I saw that part too. You guys are not wild, joking man. about things happening while you record. That's, Dude, yeah, he that's broke nuts. his he broke his leg. Oh my god! Oh god, you hate to see it. Ugh. Yeah, so yeah. he's missing the rest of the World Series. So, Yikes! Um, so let's go back to oh, me. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> you did. I, I did Please, yes, that. continue. Um, Prayers for Charlie Martin, but I'm different. <laughs> Uh, you, you um you talked about interviewing guys a couple times and you just like talking with players and stuff and i was yeah. doing a little bit of background and i went through found your blog and you have a whole page of interviews and uh oh podcast stuff and i'm just curious who's your who's the favorite interview or what's the favorite interview your your favorite interview that you've ever done i would say what's favorite interview on your mind the most i would say by far favorite interview is the one i did with sue bird in 2017 Ah. i was that was another one where i had an internship with a seattle sports team that was actually my postgraduate internship so i graduated college got an internship with the seattle storm in their communication marketing pr department whatever uh foolishly thought that that would turn into a full-time job without really understanding that like women's sports don't really make a lot of money or have a lot of room to like staff a full PR team, uh, which is no shade to them. It's just kind of the reality of the situation, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But I I got to do that interview with Sue right as she was about to break the WNBA assist record. I had to like kind of walk her through her whole career and be like, you know, just basically sit down in front of like the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest American point guard of her generation in either men's or women's basketball and be like, Hey, like, how, how do you do this, basically? And that was very, like, I guess, gratifying to, like, because I, I think the other thing I would tell young journalists, anyone who wants to do this, is, like, the number one way that you'll get your subject to respond is if it's clear that you've done your homework. Like, if you just come up with it, that's why I yeah. hate the... Yeah, for sure. Talk, that's why I Mercy. hate, like, talk about this. Talk about what you saw out there. Like, that's not a real question. There's no effort involved in that question. Even if it yeah. is, even if you do want specific information about a game, like, have you heard of baseball savant, my guy? Like, just go into the website yeah. and be like, why'd you throw this many curveballs? Like, it's so easy to just find one interesting thing that they'll want to talk about that's, like, relevant for both of you. Yeah, That's what I tried to do with Sue Bird. I told her, like, you know, growing up, like, I remember in Seattle, there's, like, a giant poster of her on, like, the Nike town uh, in downtown Seattle. And I brought that up, and she was like, oh, my God, yeah, I remember that. Like, that was so long ago, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, how does that, you know, like, when you see that, does that, like, give you... You know, is that like, what's the word I'm looking for? Is that like sort of 
uh, like edifying for you where you're like oh i'm actually that good like they built a poster for me on nike town you're like yeah i guess like i hadn't thought about that so just like like that where it's like if you if you show that you're as invested in the interview as you'd want your subject to be that's yeah. usually a recipe for success so anyway had that internship with the storm uh did not turn into a full-time job because women's sports essentially just don't have the capacity to hire anyone who walked through the door um, so then I was kind of lost in the wilderness for a little bit. Um, I was living with my dad. I had moved back. So for the internship, I moved back home. Like was staying in my dad's basement, telling him all the time, like, oh, yeah, like, I'll be out of here in a couple months. Like, once the internship's over, they'll hire me or someone will hire me. And I'll have <laughs> enough money to move out. And that did not happen. Um, so this is, I guess, like September 2017. I was 22 years old, fresh out of college had a college degree and no job. I was just like, once that internship ended, I had nothing. I was just doing the classic. Relatable. Like, yeah, I was just doing the classic, like apply for everything in sight, maybe getting like one interview every three weeks, you know, like it was just not, not working. It was very bleak, especially in your hometown. Like, cause my dad had stayed there. I have two younger sisters. So they were both like doing high school and I was like, kind of trapped in their reality which was also very weird like i was like i think there were days where i would have to like drive or pick them up from school and i was like oh my god this is awful um anyway <laughs> it got it got to a point where i was like i have to do something like i can't just sit around and like wish for something to happen um so i got a job at domino's in my hometown delivering pizzas with a college <laughs> degree and that nice. was tough that was a huge like swallow my pride moment and just be like sure no, this sucks. I, like, there's nothing stopping you from working as hard as you want. So, like, I would do like twelve because I didn't make the pizzas. I was just a delivery guy. So I would do like twelve-hour shifts one day because I had like nothing better to do essentially, and just like drive around my hometown, being sad, listening to my like own sad playlist and stuff. <laughs> and eventually, that got me a decent amount of money to where I could like have some security. So then I was like, okay, let me at least get like one more job on top of this and then I'll have enough money to move out. And that led me to like, just like the most bullshit of bullshit corporate contracted jobs where like we were, the company was essentially trying to revamp the way you buy a car online. So the job was calling car dealerships across the country and convincing these guys who usually, almost always guys, by the way, like always men who usually didn't know much about the internet, I'd convince them like, hey, you should change your website completely. And trust me, trust me, a guy you've never met. To <laughs> I'm sure that went really it. well very often. Well, you to be like honest with you, I just, I didn't do it very often. Like I got really yeah. good at faking it, you know? I was really good <laughs> at that. Really, really bad. As we all do at our jobs. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially For this sure. one, because it was contracted. So I knew that after, I think after three months, they could have just gotten rid of me anyway. So I was like, I'm just here for the paycheck, man. So yeah. Like, I just did that, got enough money. And then I got like a break where one day I was at work looking for other jobs, as one does. We love applying for jobs on company time. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, the Seattle Rain, so that's the women's soccer team, NWSL team in Seattle. They were hiring a social media guy, and I was like, "Oh, I could, I could for sure do that job. Like, I have the resume for it. I've worked in sports. I've like interviewed players. I know 
a decent amount about soccer. Like I'm sure they're looking for someone young and like impressionable who will not really be hip to like the ex- exploitation that usually happens <laughs> yeah. for young workers. So yeah. I took that job <laughs> and that was the one where I was like, okay, full-time job. I made it. I'm working in sports, moved out of my dad's basement, got an apartment in the city of Seattle with my friend. I was living large. I was like, everything is going great. I did all every Seattle rain FC. They're now called OL rain, but every Seattle rain FC tweet, Facebook post, Instagram post from the 2018 season. That was me. So if you ever want, if you ever get really, really, really bored and want to go look at them, uh, that was, you can admire my handiwork. And (laughs) the reason why I say specifically the 2018 season is because like two days after they were eliminated from the playoffs, uh, the team laid off the whole media staff, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, man. Again, sort of the the plight of women's sports. Is that yeah. one was like, yeah. they didn't say this, but the way that I sort of broke it down in my head to make myself less upset was like, well, they could either pay me, the kid who tweets, who like, you know, social media people don't like hearing this, but like essentially anyone can do that job. Like not everyone's going to do it well, but right, everyone right. can do the job. So right. like, I was expendable, basically. So I was like, they could either pay me or they could pay their players. <laughs> so yeah. I hope yeah. that they pay the players. And it is a choice a lot of the time at that level, sadly. Truly. Yeah, like, truly is. Um, I saw Stuart a couple of weeks ago. I had a total. I was um, I was at the, the WNBA finals. I'm a, I'm a Sky season ticket holder. So oh, I was cool. um, but they had so they had the whole ESPN roundtable there with like Sue Bird and Holly Rowe and all them, and I kind of had a geek out moment where I went around and I was like, "No, I... yeah, <laughs> that stuff." Um, we we probably should get to the baseball stuff soonish. Um, but I did want to ask one more thing, which is um, <laughs> so I I got this from from your your little Fangraphs blurb. You you described yourself as a oh, quote boy. unquote quote a marginally successful open mic comedian. So oh, yeah. I want to ask you about your comedy career, and also uh, on that note, the the step by step of how how the Carrie Underwood remix uh, happened, and, <laughs> and what went into that. So okay, I'll start with Carrie Underwood one because <laughs> I'm actually really proud of that, and it was one of the funnier things that ever <laughs> happened to me. So uh, I guess I never mentioned this at any point. I was so basically through. That whole period I described where I was like in the wilderness trying to get a full-time job in sports, I was working for Lookout Landing, which is the Mariners SB Nation site. Yeah. So diehard yeah. Mariners fan, like obviously blah, 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 like love the Mariners. Um, and I was like, how can I, I wanted to like have an outlet to like write about the Mariners and like Lookout Landing was kind of like a holy grail for a lot of like Mariners fans. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. Um, and one of the things that I did was a parody song about the Astros cheating scandal. So I don't remember to answer your question directly, Zach. I don't remember exactly how I landed on this, like how I decided that I wanted to <laughs> do a song because I'm not musically talented at all. That's like the one thing that I wish I had taken more seriously as a kid. Like I think it would be so cool to be able to sing or play an instrument. I just never did. But anyway, yeah, uh, the Astros cheating scandal happens, and I probably just heard that Carrie Underwood song like in a grocery store or in a bar before he cheats. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, you know, cheating was just on a brain. And I was like, oh, okay. The Astros have been cheating for years now. And I sat down one day and I, I think I'd probably just slacked Kate Priester, who's the editor-in-chief of Lookout Landing. And I was like, can I, can I record a song for this? Oh, actually, okay. Now I remember. Before that, 
I had written, I didn't record this, but I just wrote a song for Lookout Landing called Thank You Mets, which was a Thank You Next Ariana Grande remix about, <laughs> about the Mariners fleecing the Mets for Jared Kellerick. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think then I was like, okay, that was fun. I like doing that. And then with the, the Astros, one, I was like, let me just actually record this now. So I wrote the song, like, took like probably an hour, to be honest. Like, I did not put very much effort into the lyrics. Yeah. Um, I just kind of like, all you have to do, if anyone wants to write a parody song, all you have to do is just make sure that the syllables match up. So, like, take each line <laughs> of the song and then replace it with whatever you want to say, but just make sure it's the same amount of syllables because then it'll sing correctly. Right. So, I did that. And then when I recorded it, I quickly realized that I cannot sing. But then <laughs> I think on like, I think on like the third date, I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, that honestly kind of makes it more relatable in a way. It's like karaoke, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. 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 It sucks watching someone who's good at karaoke do karaoke. So I was like, I'm just going to sing this in my normal voice, basically. I put like a little bit of a country twang on it. And then I just sang it. I remember specifically, this is so funny. I had a roommate at the time that I didn't know very well. And so I went to my office. At this time, I had like an office job at the University of Washington. And I went in on a Sunday just to have an empty room. To record that song so i didn't want him to hear me <laughs> <laughs> what is this guy doing you know yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that thing about karaoke i just thought about i so i used to work at an applebee's and i will tell you that there was nothing sadder than seeing someone who could sing relatively well belting it at an applebee's karaoke because i'm just like that is yeah why are you terrible. here why are you here like you're, <laughs> you're you're here to feel better about yourself why do you need to do that like just that's sad. That hurts. Like it, it's one thing if you're with a group of friends and like someone can kind of sing or whatever, but it's like someone who like definitely like can sing nothing like incredible, but they can sing and they're there like picking like, oh, give me the Whitney Houston or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I hate that. The only thing okay. that matters for karaoke is that you know the song. I get like irrationally yeah. Yeah. upset when people pick a song and then realize they don't know. They, don't know the words. <laughs> they, they only know the chorus. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I hate that. Yeah. But with the Carrie Underwood thing, the thing that was so funny is that it like low key kind of took off. Like I knew that like Mariners Twitter would be into it. And then I guess like the Astros were just like kind of in the zeitgeist at that moment. Yeah. Like, one of the funnier things that happened was someone tried to claim it as their own. Like they were the one who did it. And it was so funny to me because I was like, this is bad. Like, Why do you bad. want to claim this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I was proud of it from like a creative standpoint. I thought it was funny, but like it wasn't like yeah. a, it wasn't impressive at all. And this guy, <laughs> Not this worth guy, stealing. I a, yeah, I think this guy was a Yankees fan, and he had way more followers than actually. And he was like, he posted like, so the song is on SoundCloud. I think he just did like a screen recording, you know, of like yeah. the chorus of the song. And then someone commented, and they're like, "This is so funny. Is this you?" And he just blatantly said, "Yes." <laughs> Yes, this and is me. I found, and I found that, and I was like, "No, it's not. It's actually me." Not. And then he did. He did the classic, like, "Oh, you're so butthurt," and I was like, "This is just the dumbest thing that's ever happened." To me. So I kind of like kind of detached for a while after that. Like, I didn't really try to like promote the song anymore because I realized that it was just gonna be a bunch of weirdos taking credit for it. Or like, the other yeah. thing was like, people said that it was like you know like a lot of like weirdly like homophobic people were like. Oh, this is so like, why are you singing? You know, this is a girl song, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this is oh just my God. awful. Yeah. Were they, were they like 12? Like, that's the thing. The probably. 
Probably. I have yeah. to remind myself of that, Ben, all the time. All of the haters, <laughs> all of the haters on Twitter are usually in middle school. Right. They're just so like, like he's singing a girl's song. That's so gross. Like that's the fundamental that? tension of like 4chan yeah. that's driven the internet for twenty years. <laughs> that you can say totally. that. You'll know. You can say, yeah, you know what? It's probably a bunch of thirteen year olds being Mercy. but you'll never actually know. You'll never sure. actually know. And that yeah. Will yeah. Drive you up the ball sometimes. So <laughs> I do I Go ahead. No, I was go ahead. Say, the song, the song is on SoundCloud. If anyone who's listening to this wants to, oh yeah, yeah, it, 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 sure. it, it is. I, if you uh, just Google "Before He Cheats" remix, it'll come up. I heard it. It's it's still there. Uh, I do want to know. I do want to hear a bit about your time open micing. Have you done some open mics? No. No, well, I did. I have, but not okay. not recently. That life is very much behind me. Um, did you? So the, I want to hear. So you you did do. You were an open micer for a bit, though. Open micer for a bit. I think I got actual U.S. currency to do stand up like twice, and those mm-hmm. are both. So there's another funny story behind this. This was in college. I had always been like interested in stand up comedy, and like I think yeah. like all of us once Netflix kind of fought stand up comedy essentially it became way easier. <laughs> to get into yeah. it. Like it was just much oh, yeah. more accessible. So once that happened, I was watching a lot of stand-up comedy and I was like, okay, like I like I think with art, there's like it's usually like this is a very binary simple way to describe it. It's usually like for me at least, I will consume art and think, I could do that or I have no fucking idea how they did that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah, like yeah. what you were saying earlier about like yeah. the math thing and like analytics. Yeah. Like, that's not me at all. I'm more of just, like a straight writer. Yep. art like anything where it's like any sort of visual art like painting drawing any of that stuff i'm like i have i have no idea how you even begin to do that um, yeah but with with singing i guess um i'm not good at singing but i can at least understand how you can like okay you sit down you write a song and you up and perform it like that makes sense in my brain and stand up was the same thing once i realized that it's basically just performing a piece of written work I was like, okay, I think I could be decent at that. And then my friends would like, once I floated that idea, my friends just hyped me up a lot. They're like, oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Like definitely thinking that I would either embarrass myself or they would get a funny story out of it. Right, right. But the thing about stand-up comedy when you're starting is there's no path, unless you have famous parents, I guess, there's no (laughs) path to doing it without open mic. It's like everyone is on the same playing field. You show up. You say, hey, I want to do the open mic. Some places they'll just truly like throw your name in a hat. And then whenever they pull you out, you're up. Some places it's like they don't recognize you. Like if you're the new guy, you're going like 35th out of 37 comedians. And that's going to be like the 2 a.m. slot for no one. Uh, yeah. Um, and you're you're just performing for the other comedians who are waiting to go exactly. on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But one sort of way out of that is if you bring people to the show, they'll give you a better spot. So yeah. A lot of so the place that I was doing it in college was called the Madhouse Comedy Club in San Diego, and the first time I ever showed up there, I brought like ten of my college buddies, and the club promoter noticed that and he was like, "Hey, are those your friends?" And I was like, "Yeah, they're all with me." Like, "Sorry, are they being weird?" He's like, "No, no, 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 no." He's like, "If you can promise me that they'll all come next time, or you can at least find ten people to buy tickets, you can have five minutes before like our our touring headliner." I was like, "Oh, oh wow." Yeah. So if you brought ten like, people, you got to basically open. Exactly. Wow. And that's not that's not the case everywhere. Obviously, this no, is yeah. like what happened for me. And I guess you know, 
to talk about myself a little bit. The other thing that helped was like I didn't suck. Like I definitely yeah. wasn't yeah, great, yeah. but I didn't suck. So like they knew that they could at least like put me up there. But you you had you had a, a solid five minutes. I had a very solid five minutes. Yes. And uh, so yeah, I just did that for a little bit, and then after college, when I moved back home, I was still during that Domino's period and during my like weird like unemployment slash like half employed period, I was trying to get back into it. And I just kind of realized that I didn't love it. Like I liked the idea of it a lot more than I actually liked getting up and doing it every night, especially when like it's such a late at night only kind of thing. Like a lot of times the show doesn't start until 10. And then like I was saying, if you're at the end, you're on at like one in the morning and you got to drive home and like, you know, it's just, it was a lot. And I realized that I, A, didn't love it and B, definitely didn't see a future in it. So I was like, I'm okay putting this behind me. And now it's like a fun part of my life too, because it's one of those things where no matter who you bring it up to, you're interested in it. So you can yeah. at least like, it's like, it makes you like the person who's done stand up seem more interesting to other people, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like you yeah. really have to love stand up to, to get through the open mic. I mean, honestly, the thing with stand up is like, you got to do it for a decade before you start getting anywhere at all you and i mean like every single night you have to do it constantly maybe you'll have to do some like barking where you're like handing out flyers and trying to get people to yeah. a club to like earn your five minutes or whatever i mean like it is a slog and for a long time i mean you get guys uh i a lot of the guys um the folks that i was hearing at um uh just for laughs this past year on the uh, new faces where they have like the new comedians come up, they're new comedians. And every single one of them has been like, yeah, I've been doing stand up for 10 years. Right. And they're, they're the new comedian because that's, you have to get like a decade in before you start getting any progress at all, before you start like touring the college circuit and all that. And it's like, you got to love it. So many things. There's so many things that you realize pretty quickly, right. When you start open micing, the first one is like, yes, you have to actually be serious about this. Like I remember So this is going to get kind of Northwest specific. I remember I would do open mics in the city of Seattle and then people would finish their set and they'd be like, Hey, we're driving to Renton, which is like 45, well, I guess like 30 minutes outside of Seattle. And like, we're driving to Renton to do this other club. Do you want to come with us? You can do another set. And I'm like, no, I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have to do like that where you have to do a set. And then a lot of times like in New York and LA, you can do this a lot easier, but in Seattle, it's like, do it in one, do it in city, then drive to the suburbs to a lot of times do that exact same set. And maybe you tweak the ending of one joke just to see how it goes. Like you do that over and over and over again. until you even think about like doing 10 minutes, even like it's so hard to progress. And then the other thing is like, you have to be in New York, LA, Chicago, maybe San Francisco to like actually get noticed at all. Oh yeah. No chance you're going to blow up if you're doing comedy and seattle washington it's just yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's new york la and chicago and you know maybe take some sketch comedy uh join a sketch comedy group or something like that on top of it see if you can do that like it's just it's it's a boatload of work so i can get it's good it's good that you kind of had that realization early on where you're like hey i don't really want to do this rather than like going through the slog of like five years and be like wait maybe i don't want to do this well because the other the other like running joke in many open micers it's like the funniest thing you can do or like i guess not the funniest like the best thing you can do for your comedy career is quit like that's that's (laughs) true a lot of the time yeah realizing that you're not made for this is like 
more important than realizing that you could maybe do it, you know? Like yeah. Quitting is a lot of times the sort of like come to Jesus moment for, for a lot of professions, I guess, but stand-up comedy especially. For sure, for sure. Um, all right, well, we are nearly at the one-hour mark, so I think before we hop into the baseball stuff, this is a good time for us to take a beat for a quick ad break, which we will do now. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show We don't have and I know I was just giving it a beat so it's easy for you to slide it in, buddy. I'm thinking of you, thinking of nice. you, so it's easier for you to edit because I could just I could just power right through it and just be like, screw Zach, see <laughs> if he can figure to, out. Just be to stop and see, parse it second by second to find where to put. The, <laughs> the what was hilarious uh, was last time, uh, last episode, we had like a whole. What was it? The Ravens game was on. I was kind of like watching into the background and us and we and uh, Drew Silva was our guest. And we kind of had like a whole conversation during what I thought was just like something was going to get cut. Like, ah, we'll set the ad in here. And then and then so there was a point where I was like, all right, cool. And we're back from the ad break. We just ended up leaving it all in. <laughs> yeah, you get the like, and we're back after 45 minutes. Like literally after. I yeah, literally like, like two. Going for two, People Mark like Andrews. Like yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were like talking about the game. Yeah, and this was... is exactly how we'll transition back into it. For uh, yeah, 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 whatever. We're back. Hey, great, uh, great ad, Alex. I think Alex is the one who reads them, uh, or maybe we'll get the one that ad. Nick reads. I don't know. You listen to our ad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listened. I tried to listen to where the ad break was, uh, and Do I heard guys, Alex. That's a good question. Do you guys listen to your own podcast? Cool. I will um, usually so Zach definitely does because he edits it. I edit it like right. start, yeah. start to finish. Yeah, so I like I, I don't listen to it when it's out because I listen to the whole thing. Yeah, okay. I so will. Zach, that's exactly I will. what I did. That's when I I did the Lookout Landing podcast for a little bit, and I was the same way. I had to edit it, and then people would ask me like, "Do you listen to it?" And I was like, "I already did." Yeah, you already twice, did. Yeah, sometimes twice to like really make sure I didn't fuck it up. <laughs> like if we had like yeah. a real guest, I wanted to make sure that like first I like. The interview was good, and then the second time, I'd be like, "Is this audio like listenable?" So I would. I just I hated it so much. I know everyone says that, but the sound of your yeah. own voice is awesome. Oh, it's it's the worst. And the thing is, is like, I I will scan through uh, a podcast after like before we release it, but after the edits up, just to like you know if there's anything we need to fix real quick or whatever. Or the main reason is I listen to hear if there's any like quirks or anything that I don't hear myself doing that I should stop doing. Like, oh, 
good. <laughs> if you hear that, Matthew just dropped his phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm plugging it in. So hold on. Let me go get a chair. It's all good. It's all good. No, I, uh, yeah, I'll listen to it um, to hear if there's any, and, and it's helped to get rid of like any quirks. It's like, oh, I clear my throat too much. I do the same thing. So I play, um, I play guitar for the uh, band at my church and we uh, videotape every single uh, service. And so I hate watching the video of myself on stage, but I will do it because I have had times where I'll watch and be like, oh, God, I didn't realize I was doing that on stage. I was like, I I didn't realize I was like standing there looking miserable when I shouldn't have been. Or that's when I learned like, oh, never wear shorts on stage because I wore that's shorts on stage. That's a big one in stand up too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's you, like never on, in stay, on stage in general. I saw it one time. I it was a super hot day. I wore shorts. I watched the video, and I'm like, "Oh God, never wear shorts on stage. It looks awful. It looks ridiculous." And but yes, it watching yourself or listening to yourself is just yeah, the most awkward I thing. Agree. I I empathize so much with um, Adam Driver, who said he never watches his own oh, yeah. movies ever, and like it makes him physically uncomfortable when uh, someone like plays clips or something that involve him. And I totally get that mm-hmm. uh, i shrivel up and die inside a little bit every week when i hear <laughs> i say like and uh and you know like this is the Dude, week i'm gonna stop it and then i never i <laughs> i did that so speaking of stand-up i um i've never i've never done stand-up but i love stand-up and uh i you know i like i too like i like yeah. <laughs> i enjoy i enjoy laughing you know i'm weird like that no so uh <laughs> A couple years ago, friend of mine for his birthday wanted to have a roast of of him for his birthday. So he had a a bunch of friends uh, get together, and we rented out a room in a bar, and we did a roast. Uh, and I was on the roast dais, so I had to write a set, basically a roast set. And it was fun, and it went over well. I my so I went into it thinking it was like roast jokes, like harsh but funny roast jokes and um i was by far the only one who was doing like really harsh like dark <laughs> mean jokes everyone else is kind of like ha, ha, what a dork and i was like mercy, mercy, mercy. Like, <laughs> like no one's ever really, loved you <laughs> yeah it was it was literally stuff like hey your parents are divorced but don't worry uh it's not your and your brother's fault your parents got divorced it's exclusively <laughs> your fault or like <laughs> See, uh, like, you should have yeah. known though because anybody anybody who is willingly gonna throw it like do that and think it's in good fun would not actually make it be a serious thing so i'm like if someone's feelings would get hurt if like some of the people yeah <laughs> my well, friends would say like hey roast me like for my wedding or something like that it would be it would be so hurtful it would well be, there you know, there is covered. it would be <laughs> i i should have prefaced this by saying there is this dynamic with him among our friend group where like we make jokes and, about him a lot like there's a lot of yeah like just kind of parents divorce no 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 i so again again like i my and my my wife told me like after she was like ever there were there were some people who were laughing i i personally liked the jokes i thought they were good but they were definitely just the audience was not expecting me to say this is what happens larry you see what happens larry you see what happens when you find a stranger in the alps <laughs> <laughs> like there were definitely people like oh my god and i'm like oh 
And I'm I close. cannot wait I, for the debate I have in four days. And I'm like, do I got that? <laughs> I'll leave it in. I mean, leave it, buddy. Uh, that, and uh, I closed. So that was even more awkward because I was watching the whole rest of the dais go. And I'm like, oh, my God, my jokes are too. <laughs> like, this is I'm going to I was like, I got to go with it. This is what I have. And <laughs> but this is uh, the reason I was mentioning that is I then watched video of it later. And I was like, oh, my God, I say like and seriously and things like that. I was saying it over and over and over and over again. Like it was mm-hmm. so distracting. So all of that is to say it is cringy to uh, listen to yourself or watch yourself, but it can be beneficial. But anyways, we're going to move to baseball. We're going to talk about baseball. The main question of this podcast that we ask everybody, why baseball? What is it about the sport of baseball? There are a lot of sports out there that you could love. Uh, what is it about the sport of baseball specifically that you love? Well, um, the easiest way to answer that question is it was the first one I knew about. When I was a kid, it was the first sport that was introduced to me. And I think that's like truly why I'm still doing this. Like I often think about there's a lot of variables here, right? Like my family is a sports family that helps a lot. Like my grandpa like worked in the NFL for a while and like my parents grew up into sports. My dad is my youth coach in baseball and basketball. So like we had that going for us. But I think that if like if say my parents had thrown me into like gymnastics when I was four years old instead of T ball, I probably would have really loved that. I think it was just like when you're four years old, everything is fun, you know? So I was like, I guess baseball is the greatest thing ever. And I don't know, I guess it just like clicked pretty early on too. Like it's it's weird because like you meet a lot of people, I'm sure you guys have had this conversation where they're like, oh baseball, I mean the the really I think annoying one is baseball is so boring. But the one that I don't oh, ever really yeah. understand and people say they don't get baseball. And I'm like, it's really quite simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're up, right? The hitter is up. He has a chance. He or she has a chance to reach base. And then, like, that's the base. You're at first base. You're at second base. You're at third base. Like, it's so – it's all yeah. right there. It all, like, explains itself. And I think when I was four years old, that made a lot of sense to me, and I grasped onto it. Whereas a sport like football – what the fuck is going on? Like, there's so much. I understand football now, oh, yeah. to be clear. <laughs> but as a kid, it's like, it's just like, there's so many rules. Like, even bounds are kind of confusing when you're a kid. Like, yep. what does second and seven mean? You know, like, that's confusing. <laughs> um, I think it was just like, I, I don't know. Feel real? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- yeah. And I, I think the other thing is, like, baseball is very, the barrier of entry for, like, playing as a kid is pretty low like you can go outside and toss the ball around whereas like football yeah. it's like that's hard i mean i guess you can throw the football around you know and like you can go shoot hoops but baseball it's like there is something so elementary about just like throwing the ball back and forth in your backyard so i did that a yeah. lot um and then playing it as a kid i think is what kind of cemented it like once i once i got to the age where kids were pitching you know like no more t-ball fully kid pitch and i realized that i could like hold my own that was when i was like okay this is probably the sport for me forever because you realize like i don't know if you guys are in the generation where like of every american kid playing soccer just for no reason like your parents you in soccer. right yeah Did you I, do that? yeah oh yeah that was me 
Uh, I am sitting here, uh, the father of a five-year-old who is in the middle of his soccer season. There you go. <laughs> so, yes, a generation is continuing, I guess. So, like, I did yeah. that, and then I had the opposite thing with soccer. I was like, I kind of hate this. And the only thing that I liked, even remotely, was playing goalie, which, like, isn't even really soccer, you know? That's that was me. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to run. I didn't want to run, so I oh, wanted to be goalie. I was it wasn't lazy. A running I found... thing for me. It was just not having oh. foot eye coordination. I I was always very lazy and found the most uh, creative ways to be lazy that I ever could. So yeah, the reason I uh, ended up playing basketball is because it was inside in the air conditioning. <laughs> I didn't want to be outside. <laughs> Absolutely foolproof reasoning. I think yeah. I was a goalie, I think, for the same reason I wound up being a pitcher, which is like I'm okay not being involved like 95% of the time. But when <laughs> I am involved, the, everything, the eyes are on me. You know, right. that's <laughs> yeah. listening to you talk about that. I'm wondering if some of the same reasons that people like to talk about baseball as being boring are also some of the reasons why – it can be so fun for kids where you talk about is like long, long periods of very little going on punctuated by brief moments of excitement and all of the focus being on one particular spot, which is not necessarily the case in, in basketball or in a sport where the ball is moving constantly. And I think for a yeah. kid where it's like, okay, you're, I don't know, you're, you really get to feel the being the center of the tension when you're at the plate, when you're running the bases, you know, I, I can see how that might be, uh something that you don't get like football you have to coordinate 11 people running at the same time you're never going to do that with kids under the age of 12 there's something so fundamental about like pitcher hitter hit ball run everyone gets their moment in the sun you know that it can keep keep a six-year-old on task at least long enough to get that done (laughs) that's what i'm saying and like everyone gets to hit you know like basketball you can play a whole game without taking a single shot like at least baseball you get to get up there and try. You yep. Know? You get a chance. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny whenever we ask this question, I, I think one of the common responses is, uh, you know, baseball was big when uh, in my family or big to me when I was a kid. And it just, I think it's, I, you know, it's, we connect to the things that we loved as kids. I, I know for me, you know, I, I grew up in a family that was huge about the Orioles. Like, I mean, it still is. They, you know, follow them around season tickets, all that stuff. So, you know, going up as a kid, going to Camden Yards all the time, you know, you kind of connect with that. So I answer great. That's a great answer. Um, So how many I'm curious, how many ballparks have you been to? And mm. uh, of the ones you've been to, do you have a favorite? And also when you go to a ballpark. Do you have uh like a something you always get food wise at a ballpark or there's like a specific food that you love to get at a specific ballpark? Sure. Okay. So I'm kind of in an interesting place with this because I've been to Mount. I need to figure this out too. So I'm kind of not with you. <laughs> been to Safeco Field, been to the Oakland Coliseum, been to Angel Stadium, been to Dodger Stadium. I've been to Petco, so that's five on the West Coast. And then I've been to Yankee Stadium, City Field, and Fenway. So I guess eight total, but Yankee Stadium, uh, City Field, Fenway, and the Oakland Coliseum, I've never been to as a fan. Those were all for work. So that's kind of like ah. a weird gray area. So yeah, 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 yeah. 
I don't know anything about the Yankee Stadium fan experience. I know that it's very expensive and that the food is generally bad. That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, that's what um who was it? We had some guest who was like maybe was it Sung Min who was like uh yeah, the best food is outside of Yankee Stadium. I don't remember who it was, but it was someone who said like you don't eat in Yankee Stadium. There's a bunch of great food just outside of it. That's I don't remember who it was. It was Sung Min or Chris Towers, one of one of the New York uh, guys, one of the Yankee yeah. guys. Or not Chris. Really good Jamaican guy, food outside of mm. the stadium. It was amazing. Mm. And I think inside the stadium, it's like Shake Shack or just like $19 chicken strips. That's basically your options. <laughs> yep. Actually, that sounds about right. Oh, yeah. Like, well, actually, I have right, right. I. <laughs> Picked this up. Oh, I was at go. I was at Yankee Stadium a couple months ago, and I I literally just happened to have this here. I I am yeah the fan experience there. I've been there a few times now. Um, I went to a Sunday night baseball game in 2017 where it was Yankees Red Sox and it was Sale versus Severino. It was oh, wow. an incredible game, but it was like we were. I was all the way up in the nosebleeds down the left field line, like literal last row. But uh, a few, a couple months ago at the end of August, I went to another Yankees Red Sox game and this was heat of the wild card. And I sat out in right field uh, with, with, with the bums. And it was, it was, I've not experienced a whole lot like that environment. I, I got to say, and part of it was also it, probably me being still really skittish about COVID and stuff and being kind of yeah. like, yeah, like yeah, this is fun, but also like, but it was, man, it is, it is a different. I don't like to buy. I went to school in upstate New York. My friends are all Yankees fans, uh, so I don't often like to indulge the Yankees fan, the Yankees exceptionalism, uh, a lot. But yeah, Yankee Stadium on like in the bleachers, in the heat of a pennant race against the Red Sox is totally. It's a. I've never quite. I don't think there's an equivalent to it that I've experienced personally. Definitely not in baseball. I mean, that sounds really fun. Man, um, so you're you're a Mariners person or Mariners fan, right? Sadly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I spend most of my. I'm a White Sox fan, so I spent most of my life answering answering the question the same way. So, See, but no, I mean, I reject. I reject that immediately because they've won a World Series in your lifetime. So, can you know, I, uh, I, I throw that out immediately? Can I? Can I pipe in as an Orioles fan and say I feel mm-hmm. your pain? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which because it's been since 1983 uh, that I was not alive when the <laughs> Orioles last won a World Series and. Boy, oh boy, have we been bad for a while, except for like I that mean, three I, years. I didn't notice. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't know. Yeah, they don't. People don't really talk about it that much. You, you know, the national uh, sports media just doesn't talk about <laughs> the Orioles being bad enough, and they really should. Well, I mean, what are hey. we supposed to say about a team that loses 110 games three years in a row? <laughs> I mean, you could do what Buster. You could do what Buster Olney's doing and complain about them tanking. All of the time, constantly. I mean, so <laughs> that all that being said, though, it must have been a lot of fun this year. Speaking as again a fan of a team who just came out the end of a very, very, very long tunnel, just like getting all the way up to the the doorstep this year must have been an experience. It was. It was quite strange for me personally because I during this whole summer. So I guess like let's start in like. May. That's when I got hired by the Daily News and I had to kind of shift my focus more towards Mets and Yankees. So I really wasn't watching the Mariners that often. 
And then when I actually, when I actually moved out here, it became harder because every game starts at 10 p.m. Right. So yeah. I was like, honestly, pretty. I was as detached as I've been since I was like a little kid, just by circumstances. And then it really wasn't until the very last week of the season where I was like, oh my god, they're like not like. I think every Mariners fan has a list of a bit of them where they're like, hold on a second. Like, let's not get too high. Let's not get too low. Mm-hmm. Like, we've been down this road 2014, 2016, and 2018. They did this whole thing where they looked really good. Can't set up for disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But so, so I was doing that exact thing until literally the last week of the season where I was like, okay, if they go like five and two this week and get some help, they will straight up make the playoffs. And that was... <laughs> A lot to take in from the East Coast, realizing that I wasn't like, because then it made me like, kind of have that like FOMO of like, damn, did I miss like the fun part of the season when they were like getting into the race? Because every also, every Mariners fan knew like this is not this is not a playoff team. It's not going to work. <clears throat> like, yeah, I think you would have to be a little delusional to actually believe they were going to make the playoffs. So I never allowed myself to get to that point, but I still obviously wanted to be involved. So I started watching a lot more closely and like staying up really late to watch them get killed by the angels and all that. And it was, I mean, it was fun, obviously. Like I think something that the Mariners have taught me is that you have to appreciate baseball as the the experience rather than the wins and the losses. Right. Which seems pretty simple, but like it's all we have. You have to, the Mariners had a walk-off grand slam this year against the Rays by a guy named Shed Long, who is already not on the team anymore. Like he already got Shedrick. Shedrick Long, yeah. I guess you guys probably know Shedrick, but for the greater baseball community, he might not be as well known. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he hit a walk-off grand slam against the Rays. Like that was like the highlight of the season. And then like it seemed like two minutes later, it's like, oh, they're in the playoff race. I was like, wait, wait, what happened in the middle? You know? So I got kind of <laughs> bummed about missing about missing that part. Like, it's like what I imagine like parents would feel like if they're like once their kid reaches like 17, 18 years old, like, whoa, 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 whoa. When did this happen? That was how I felt about the 2021 yeah. Mariners. I, I put them to bed when they were like four games under 500 in May. And then I turned around and they had won 90 games, which is truly insane to hear out loud. They won more games than the Braves or in the World Series. So, yeah, that's wild. It was fun, though. And I think the beauty of it, the thing I keep telling everyone, because I've gotten this question from every baseball person in my life, uh, they're like, oh, my God, you must be so excited. And I'm like, yes, because they're ahead of schedule. That's the great yeah. thing about the Mariners mm-hmm. right now. They were, they were supposed to do this next year. And the fact they've already gotten there without Julio yet, without Jared Kelnick really doing a whole lot, without Logan Gilbert, like, I think being as good as he can be, like that's where the that's where the exciting stuff is. The only thing now is they fucking have to spend money, and that that scares me because I don't think they. Will. Yep, yep, I I feel that because I know in a couple in a few years, the Orioles are going to be in the same place where I'm like, okay, right. you've got these prospects who are good, you know, once Adley's up and mm-hmm. raking, hopefully. Once Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall are up and they're pitching, like, okay, we've got these guys. Now you have to spend a little money. And I think right, the right, Orioles, right. yeah, and I think the Angelos family is going to say, what if we don't? And yeah. see what happens. That's, again, my two favorite teams in the world are both owned by Jerry Reinsdorf. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, what is pain? Yeah, I will say, though, to what you said a second ago, I think 
this is, I don't think this is a hot take, but just one that fans of certain teams aren't going to appreciate where I think that bad teams or historically bad franchises in my experience sometimes produce like the coolest and most well-rounded and smartest fans because you learn how to appreciate and take in the game when it's not just about wins and losses i spent many 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 days in the sun at, at the park currently known as or the park formerly known as u.s cellular field uh you know watching a really bad hundred loss White Sox team with 5,000 people in the ground, but it really did. I think that's why I'm like here doing this pod because it did teach me in doing this writing because it taught me how to really love baseball in a way that I, I did before, but it, you know, you appreciate it in a different way. And then uh, you get to have seasons like these where you get to taste it for a second and it just is all, all that much nicer. And I do think of it sometimes like the Mariner season this year makes me think about how, what was for you guys, one of the most tremendously fun and successful seasons you've had in recent memory in terms of wins and losses, Yankees fans, like the sky is falling Dude, for the oh same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, it's, well, it's if they don't win a world series. Yeah. Yeah. Yankee fans are just so reactionary. Like they'll melt down <laughs> over literally like one play, not even one game, one play. I don't know how many times Gary Sanchez had a fastball or Glaber made an error and you go on Twitter and it's just, Get him out of here. Get him out. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, I saw somebody, some writer, some Yankees writer who was like, Aaron Boone has been with the team for, what is it, three, four years now? And he oh, hasn't yeah. even, yeah, and he hasn't even been to a World Series yet. What an embarrassment. I'm like, I'm sorry. Four years and he hasn't been to a World Series. Oh, my. Like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. like that's the bar you're holding him to it's so it's sad this whole idea is exactly what you're talking about of like bad teams kind of producing heavy air quotes better fans is exactly why i like mets fans more than yankees fans like in my oh yeah experience in new york it's been night and day oh for sure i i experienced i experienced uh many many yankees fans down in camden yards because whenever the orioles play the yankees all the Yankees fans show up there because it's, I guess, cheaper to take the train down to Baltimore, stay a night in a hotel in the city, and go to an Orioles game in Camden Yards than it is to go to one game in Yankee Stadium. Uh, but yeah, it, but though I will say, if uh, you ask me to choose whether I'd rather hang out with Yankees fans or Red Sox fans, I'll take Yankees fans all day. I agree with that too. Hundred percent of the time. Hundred percent of the time. Yeah, we we can Boston. I think I've said this as a (laughs) I've said this as a joke before, but I'm starting to believe it. I think like Boston sports as a whole, every all the four teams are like it's one of the worst things that's ever happened in this country. Like the fact that we have to deal (laughs) with their shit, it makes me so mad. How infuriating that like they don't deserve those championships. That they fan base doesn't deserve yeah. that. Come on. Yeah, man. Yeah, I don't know about They're... that. I don't like getting into the who deserves what and they deserve stuff, but like <laughs> deserve is the wrong yes. is the wrong word. But really. yes, like that fan base getting it's the... just gotten so cocky. Oh well, yeah. I mean, God, they the fact that they got you know the Patriots doing as well as they did for so long, and the Sox being as good as they've been, like just it makes them just. So it just encourages them to continue being awful. And, you know, and I say this, I say this knowing many Red Sox fans who are wonderful, wonderful people, 
But the Red Sox fans that like I encounter at Camden Yards, I'm like, you're just the worst. <laughs> yeah. I think just that's kind the of a rule though for for traveling for fans who travel to see the visiting team, like a lot of times they're going to like start Burst. and that's just not yep. fun for anyone. Yeah, and it's like also, why are you starting stuff at Camden Yards? Like, we know we're bad. We're a hundred lost team. What do you get? We're gonna be like, yeah, we're gonna beat you guys. Like, right. you should beat us. You should beat us mercilessly. And if you lose, frankly, it's an embarrassment to you. Like, yeah, it's, it's not. It's no like, hey, good for us. I mean, we won something. That's cool. But like, you should be beating us. It just. I never understood this. It's like, what, what do I, what shame do I have to gain? Like, right. what, you know, what do I have left? <laughs> Just let me enjoy this game. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, that's in Chicago. I did speak of the Cubs fans here, which is like all of the hubris of Yankees and Red Sox fans, but with, it's <laughs> the tiniest fraction of the success. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I lived I lived in Providence for a couple of years until until about a year ago, and my my experience. I like you said, Ben. I know many wonderful Red Sox fans and Boston sports fans, but uh, we've had a few wonderful I, Red Sox. We've fans had a on few on here. It's just yeah. like man out there. I'm like I just can't I can't deal with like being in that sports culture. Yeah, man, the Sox. Um, all right, I I want to ask uh one more baseball question before we kind of move on to our more I guess random stuff. Uh. What is the coolest moment that you've seen live at a baseball game? Oh, boy. So this is where I get to brag about my insane luck. I've been to two no-hitters in Seattle. Oh, man. Yeah. One of them against your Orioles, Hisashi Iwakuma. Oh, my God. uh, I forgot about that one. (laughs) And that one, it actually, you know what's funny? It followed almost the exact same path as the John Means no-hitter, where it was – a Wednesday day game. Nobody was there. It was like a gray, like gloomy day in Seattle, like not baseball weather at all. And it felt like all of the players acknowledged that as well. Like, let's get out of here as quick as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so the Iwakuma yeah. game was that. It was, I remember going, this is so funny. I was, so I was in college. It was one of those times where I was home for the summer in college. And my friend was supposed to go with me. He was working at Lids at the mall. And he got like called in last minute and he was like, he's like, I essentially like, Hey, I have to go to work. Like, I'm really sorry. Like, okay. Whatever. It's fine. I just went by myself and I ended up seeing a no hitter, <laughs> but it was so oh, weird because man. it was such a specific type of marriage game where the game started with the roof open and ended with the roof closed, which just created <laughs> such a weird, like literal day and night effect. Like it feels like it's, Oh Yeah. Um, so I was at that game, and then I was also a couple of years before that at a combined no-hitter against mm. the Dodgers, where it was old Kevin Millwood was the starter for the Mariners. Oh, yeah. Kevin Millwood. Wow, that's a so blast. This, Orioles this, great, Kevin Millwood. Yeah, so I'm, I think this would have been 2012 then. Kevin Millwood started, he got injured, had to be pulled in like the early, like probably a second or third inning. And then this went to like a band of relievers. It was like... I'm not going to know off the top of my head, but I know Lucas Litke was involved, Stephen Pryor, Tom Wilhelmson, and then I think I mean, probably it was Brandon League at that time who got the save. Maybe oh, it was man. Yeah, it may, might have been Wilhelmson who got the save, actually. But the funniest part was that it was against the Dodgers, who at that time had the best record in the league, and the Mariners literally no-hit them with, like, essentially 
seven triple A relievers. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Man, can you believe like it's still wild to me that Kevin Millwood had a sub three ERA season in the mid two thousands. Like just yeah, he had a two eight six ERA season in oh uh, five. Like wow, I never think of him as that. Like I just I yeah. what I remember I remember very clearly I was in college in southern Pennsylvania in two thousand ten. It's the off season and I just heard uh my friend is a huge Phillies fan and the Phillies just got Roy Halliday. And they're all flipping out. Oh man, Roy Halliday finally, yeah, the Phillies is gonna be going to the World Series, like all this stuff. And then I'm sitting over there like, ooh, we just got signed Kevin Millwood. Big moves this <laughs> offseason. <laughs> That's the was... fundamental part of the Mariners experience as well. <laughs> it, was just, it was just such like a, a juxtaposition. Like they're freaking out over Roy Halladay, like, you know, a Hall of Fame pitcher. And I'm like, Kevin Millwood, guys, this is so exciting. Um, yeah, the, the Angels have done that where they got starting with Hamilton, really, Josh Hamilton, and then Pujols, and then Otani and Rendon. And with the Mariners, I mean, it's never worked out, which is even funnier. But with the Mariners, it's like, Seth Smith could slot nicely in the two-hole, you know? Like, you're convincing yeah. yourself of such a lesser <laughs> Yeah, thing. you're like, no. yeah, they make these tiny moves. You're like, you know, no, this is, a, this is a good move. It's a sneaky move. You know, they're, be, they're being clever. The they're being cheap, you know? <laughs> and then the one time you spend all that money on Cano, it just goes sideways. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, the one time. I, when- I, I reject that a little bit. I think it went as well as it could have, honestly. <laughs> I mean, and Jared Jared Kalnick helps helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, but all oh. they gave up for Cano was money, and like he didn't. I don't know. I'm. Gonna, it's a get into this. I'm not saying you shouldn't make that yeah. move. Absolutely, you know. Oh, and I he's still. Like, I mean, he still had a hundred hundred yeah. season and almost forty home runs one year. So I mean, exactly. I just don't like this idea that he was like a bust. That makes me upset because he wasn't. He made the Mariners from irrelevant to almost making the playoffs three times. So. That's why I yeah. get a little defensive about the Robinson Cano slander. No, I mean the the one time the Orioles spent a ton of money, it turned into Chris Davis. So you know, oh, yeah. yeah, that was that was our biggest contract ever given to a player, <laughs> biggest contract wow. ever. Chris Davis, we're paying him till you know twenty fifty or I whatever. Mean, it's at least Chris Davis is just bad all around. I can imagine the Cano <sighs> debate would be yeah, the yeah, kind yeah. Of player that the meatheads would probably hate. So that that. Debate well, is probably yeah. particularly. Oh, I mean, That's yeah, weird. it's. Guess. I'm not really a person who like. I'm not a person who gets like upset with a player's morality if they get busted for PEDs. I'm more of the like, who cares? It's like for me, it's exactly like if you have a friend who smokes cigarettes. It's like they know it's bad for them. That's right. not like you know. It's not like you're not breaking news. Like, hey man, don't do that. <laughs> like they know they're not supposed to do it, but they're doing it anyway. They're adults who are making a choice. And they're okay with the consequences. And that's exactly what happened to Robinson Cano. Oh, and I mean, we we all we also have such short memories because you know we all love Nelson Cruz, but you know, lest we forget, he exactly. got busted for PEDs. D. You know? Gordon, who became a Mariners fan favorite, just because he doesn't look like a steroid guy, he got busted for it too, yeah. and everyone loved him. D. Gordon did. I mean, uh, Jorge Polanco. I mean, you know. I mean, I was, yeah, I was having a conversation about similar to this, about the Hall of Fame and, and these things where it's just like, whether we care or not, or whether it's held against a player is just super arbitrary. It's, oh, really yeah, no it's reason to it. Entirely capricious. It's, it's uh, ridiculous. Um, anyways, we're going to pivot away from baseball into kind of more like just a random grab bag of things. And the very first thing we're going to talk about is the order of operations trifecta 
we are going to ask you three things, and we want to know the order in which you do those three things. So first, okay. when you get dressed, socks or pants first? Ooh, uh, when I get dressed, socks have to come first. I had to think about it for a second, Ooh. but yeah, socks first. Interesting. Is this outfit wear, dependent? I was going to say, I wear a lot of socks that are like mid-calf, you know? So it's, it's easier to put those on and then put the pants on over them rather than put the pants gotcha. on, weirdly roll up the pant leg to pull the sock up, you know? So socks, socks first. Gotcha. We are, our uh, guests have been kind of like a 50-50 split on that. It's a good question. I had to think to about it. Now that I think about it. Yeah, I, I think socks, text, yeah. I had someone text me saying that they went socks first. I was like, hmm. just, just out of nowhere? Or like, did you well, ask them? the context of that they had been listening, oh. that they were answering. The <laughs> they were specifically like, I'm never going to be a guest on your podcast, so I'm just going to tell you what the what the answers to these things are. Wow, awful. that's <laughs> which, awfully presumptive which, of them. Yeah, brings us to the second part of the the order, op- order of operations, Trivecta, which is um, if you eat cereal... And you also drink milk. And presumably those two things, tip they typically go together. Maybe they don't, but usually they do. Which one comes first? Like in the bowl, I'm pouring a bowl of cereal? Mm. Yes. Cereal. Cereal first. Naturally. That one, yeah, that one I would I would be a little concerned if someone did the milk first. That just seemed like a as we as we choice. As we mentioned uh, just about every episode, Jake Seeley has spilled a lot of digital ink on why he goes milk first. Okay. And uh, yeah, he's he wrote a whole article about it and also ranked his like 100 fa- uh, most favorite cereals. Ooh, he's I a big cereal guy. What's, what's your, just real quick, what's your guys' favorite cereal? Um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch probably for me. Yep. That's the correct answer in that. Ooh, okay. I So... <laughs> Ben, you're going to laugh at me because I'm giving you for, for something similar, though. And it's actually my go-to is the Special K Red Berry. You give me so much crap because I do eat a K. Though it's been a while. I it's like the, the chocolate regular Special, special K. K. That's weird. <laughs> no, no, no. I drink the or I eat the chocolate Special K. Oh, you never read. The chocolatey, chocolatey delight Special chocolate? K. Uh, chocolate. Zach, we, were a, yeah. we were a Special K Red Berry's house, Zach, so I know all about that. That was like, I don't know, I think I somehow managed to convince my mom that it was healthier than other sugary cereals in some way, or that like, you know, because I was not, not? it's in in no way, shape, or I think, you know, the berry, it's like, the reason they call it red berry is because it's not even a real fruit, it's just like a freeze-dried, like, paste thing, uh, it has like an, it's just as sugary as any of those other cereals, but like, I was a non-sugar you know non-sugary cereal household child so it was like i will i will say uh i just looked up jake's rankings of cereal Mm -hmm. and his number one cereal it's actually a three-way tie between cinnamon toast crunch churros we've had the churros discussion yeah um captain crunch sprinkled donut what okay and i've never even heard of these I know. Well, so the churros one I've I've seen around. His his argument was basically the shape of the churros makes it keeps it crunchier because they they mm-hmm. do it in like a cylindrical shape, I think, uh, rather than the the squares. I don't know much about the sprinkled donut version of Captain Crunch, and then his uh, also tied for first is Post Honey O's Quaker Honey Graham O's. 
I don't really I don't, even know I'm those. I'm not familiar with any of those. Yeah. This is what I'm telling you, man. Like, Jake, it's he's his top deep. 65 yeah. cereals. He's like, he's in deep, man. Published in theathletic.com. Theathletic.com uh, this past March. Wow. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> that pandemic content, man. Um, <laughs> all right. The final part of the order of operations trifecta. The O O O T, the oot, uh, when you brush your teeth. What? <laughs> the O O O T, right? Order of operations trifecta. Yeah. yeah. No, um, triple O T, when you brush your teeth, water or toothpaste first? Toothpaste first, but I would not judge anyone for doing the opposite. That one, I'm like, that's not, I don't have strong opinions on that. It's just, I don't as long as you use first. water. And you don't just go to you brush your go. teeth, really. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's really the thing. I think it's yeah, crazy so, to go toothpaste yeah. and then just go right in your mouth. Like, that's, that's true. That would be, that yeah, would be I was going to say, like, normally I'm a very much live, like, do your own personal practices are your own personal practices. And it's not mine to say what is or is not the right thing to do. But if you are just, yeah, going straight in with the chalky and the toothpaste and stuff, like, I have some, I do have questions. No, thank you. That is weird. Um, so, you know, I was uh, I was thinking about this earlier today, and we haven't asked this question in a while, and I'd like to. We haven't talked a lot about music uh, here, and uh, I'd like to for a second because I want to know if you could see any concert uh, currently, right now, or go back in time and see the concert. What would you go see? Wow, that is a, a big question. Um, it is, yeah. It's a it's a tough one. Beethoven, seventeen seventy. <laughs> no, right when he drops Moonlight Sonata, <laughs> and we're all crying, thinking of our exes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like there's like a seminal like concert that I would want to see. I guess like you know, like Woodstock would have been kind of cool. Sure, I even. But yeah, that's not like, even, I don't like care about those artists, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Or even even if you're just like, hey man, I would love to see uh, you know, Vampire Weekend during the uh tour of one of their albums or something like that. Like even that's fine. Mm. I have seen Vampire Weekend, they're great. I love Vampire Weekend. Uh, uh, I, think- I I missed out on seeing them. They were at the last Virgin Mobile Free Fest in uh Columbia. Oh, it was during their Modern Vampires of the City tour. And uh, I missed out on the free tickets. It's, I would love soon. In my opinion, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, it's fun to realize when like men reach a certain age and they're like, "Oh, I could die one day." That usually makes for pretty interesting art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It does. <laughs> More talent. Anyway, anyway, I think my answer would be I would want to see like Prince in like '86, like Prince in his prime. Oh man, yeah, best yeah. concert experience possible. That would be incredible. I I I still maintain maybe the best concert movie of all time is his Sign of the Times uh movie. It's um it's on Amazon Prime if you ever want to watch it. It's just a it's essentially just a live concert during his Sign of the Times tour and man, does that guy That's put on a show. Yeah, I mean, I need to watch that. Man, he's incredible. My only gripe with that movie is that right when they do, I think it's is it little red Corvette? One of his hit songs, they just do the music video randomly. Like they cut away from the concert and they do a music video and then they go back to the concert. 
I don't know why they do that. Um, uh, but otherwise, it's an incredible show. Yeah, that's a great answer. I yeah, would have killed to see Prince. I was the I went, first. Good. Oh, sorry. I saw um, there was there's a documentary about Oasis that's out right now, and it's mostly oh the the Netflix one. Well, there's that which I have watched, but there's also one. I don't know if it's on streaming yet, but it was at theaters here in New York for a little bit, where it's basically just a concert show but it's about their their nebworth show in 96 i want to say and this show is famous because two percent of the united kingdom population applied for tickets like that's how famous oh Oasis my was god in 1996 oh and then like it's just like in a massive field you know it's like a festival setting but pretty much just for oasis like they had openers too but it's like an oasis concert in a festival setting essentially and it's fascinating to see how that's wild how much of a vice grip <laughs> oasis had on british culture in the 90s it's wild to see yeah they do, really do you ever watch videos of like beatlemania and stuff like the british invasion you see how people like they're throwing themselves like out Dude, of their yeah. seats one of the, um crazy. there's I, a real like you see like people were people are nuts over these things i don't oh know my God. like that anymore <laughs> so nuts it's you know i I uh, remember reading a, I read a Beatles biography and in it, they mentioned that while the Beatles were touring, like height of Beatlemania during some random press conference, Ringo happened to mention that he liked gummy bears. And so the next concert, the next handful of concerts, people were pelting the Beatles with gummy bears. <laughs> they were bringing gummy bear, gummy bears to the show and just throwing them, just chucking them at the Beatles and like that's part of the reason the Beatles are like, look, we're not touring anymore. Like, just I've been <laughs> similarly. I've been reading uh, this biography of Jim Morrison and the crazy stuff that was going on at some early Doors shows in L.A. Like, holy cow! That just I just even and then when they got big, same kind of deal. They were massive, just like just crazy stuff. Yeah, man. that stuff is really like alarming in like a fun way because you like we're yeah. so detached from it that it doesn't really affect us but, like realizing that like those guys are pretty much operating on a completely different set of rules living on oh, yeah. the planet in their minds like apparently this velvet underground documentary is really good too i need to check that out oh it's yeah weird. i just i just, just saw that that was there out. yeah 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 i need to check that mm-hmm. out too and i would imagine it's somewhat similar they were yeah, it's yeah. especially the yeah. stuff that was going on in Andy Warhol's circle. I was, was going to say, stuff. I saw the I saw the Andy Warhol like traveling exhibit in his specialty thing that went on a couple years ago, and it was had some interesting sidebars about the Velvet Underground. But um, I was just going to say, like, culture is so different now, just in like in the most general terms. Like, I feel like oh yeah, time, like rock stars and really just people like we're all about like need to go out, need to be seen, need to like be involved in stuff. And now I feel like our most for me, at least, the most interesting famous people are the ones who give us nothing. We're like mostly in hiding mm, all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I've always said, I think Frank Ocean is the best person ever at being famous because you never hear anything bad about him. The only stuff you do hear is stuff that he wants you to hear. You know, like he's just he doesn't ever like step in it. You know what I mean? He's just so well, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't see. I mean, you don't really see like big rock stars, quote unquote anymore like not there are the the old school you know drug sex and rock and roll guys it's just it's not really a thing anymore because i I think it got just just so played out sure yeah yeah 
But I mean, like you would never, you would never see someone like a Jim Morrison type become as huge as he was for doing what he did now. Like just wild stuff. Um, Times change, eh? Crazy, right? Smartphones, smartphones. (laughs) Have you seen this? Heard about this? (laughs) Film people doing anything now. Crazy, man. Facebook, yeah. Strange Um, the passage of time. Speaking of which, which, I do want to ask, um, on a similar vein to the the concert question, if you could sit and have a conversation, just a casual combo, as long or short as you want, with anybody in history, like, doesn't even have to be a specific person, can be, but doesn't have to be, like, take your pick. Who Who would you talk to in a room by yourself, given the chance? Oh, man. I don't know, because there's so many ways to go with that, right? Do I want to have a serious conversation? Do I want to talk to people who have, like, been involved in, like, huge things in history? Or do I want to just have, like, a funny conversation? Um, Anything you want. Yeah, that's the hard part. (laughs) First thing that comes to your mind is usually the best answer. Yeah, first thing that came to mind was Martin Luther King. But that's honestly, like, pretty boring. I don't know if that's a good answer. Like, it would be cool. You know what? I would want to have a conversation with him to see like how much of his personality has kind of just been mythologized since his right. death, like to like sit down with him and like hear him talk like a normal human being rather yeah. than being this monolithic God that he's become. I think that would be really interesting. Like to hear Martin Luther King Jr. Stub his toe and be like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what yeah, I want to hear. <laughs> I mean, the other thing, though, the other thing that kind of scares me, and this is like, it's so dumb. This is all purely hypothetical. It will never happen. But like, if you were to meet some of those people, I think you would realize that they're all. Everyone has demons, right? And especially back then, people were doing shit that is not acceptable today. Like, they all like John Lennon was like beating Yoko. Like, there's stuff like that. Where, like, and and out. his previous wife. Oh yeah. Yeah, where like. We like, you know, glamorize these people and then we realize like, oh, if they were living today, they would get canceled or like we would not feel the same way about them. So that's why I'd be scared of that with Dr. King, even though like I'm saying this is all purely hypothetical and can never happen. <laughs> I, I think one that would be really fun. I don't know if you guys have ever read a Quincy Jones interview, but that guy does not hold back and I would want to I... get some that out of him. I saw him live uh, in person. Really? I uh, I went to it's probably three four years ago. Uh, I went to the um, what was it called? The Gershwin Awards. The Gershwin Awards. It's a, a, a kind of a lifetime achievement award they do every year um, for some musical artist, and uh, they do a live. They do a taping of a show where basically uh, for the one I went to is Gloria Estefan, Gloria and Emilio Estefan. And what they do is they have a whole bunch of famous musicians perform their music as an, a tribute to them and uh, kind of talk about how wonderful they are. Uh, they do one artist every year. I have a cousin who works for the Library of Congress, so she scored me some tickets. And Quincy Jones was one of the people who came up and talked about how wonderful uh, Gloria and Emilio Estefan are. It was, uh, was kind of cool seeing this guy like in person. It's like the, yeah, the you know it's, it's just it's just seeing him is like this is a a legend. It's like it's like when I saw I went to see the Tonight Show and I saw Lorne Michaels standing off to the side. And I was like he didn't do anything. I was just like oh my god he's here. Like I, we're in the same room. 
I just hope that when he does pass, Quincy does have just like a vault <laughs> with all of all of the tea written down and verified inside. And he says, yeah. public. Everything really happened in music if between anyone, 1970 and 2000, all on the table. <laughs> if any of the listeners haven't read, I believe it was in GQ. Where like, I think it's just probably called like Quincy Jones Tells It All or whatever. It's like oh, a yeah. really, really long interview. And he talks about being in the car when like his friend got decapitated like that's not even like the fifth craziest thing in that oh it's yeah (laughs) it's a wild interview yeah everyone was sleeping with everybody of all genders is yes yes yeah the major takeaway in my opinion (laughs) absolutely um Um, all right i'm i want to ask my favorite question one of my favorite questions have you ever seen a ghost or experience something in which uh, you could not explain what happened? I never a ghost. I think the closest thing I've had was I was probably 14, 15 in Sammamish, Washington. We were sitting on a curb outside my friend's house being like waiting for him to come outside or whatever. With the four locos was, in the boat. <laughs> exactly. That was later. We were probably going to the lake with our four locos in tow. Um, but we were sitting there, it was nighttime, and all of a sudden, like, the sky, like, turned green, and we heard this weird noise, and then it was just gone. And, like, obviously, when you're 14, even now at 26, I'm like, only logical explanation there is aliens, right? Oh, that was going to be my follow-up. That was going to be my follow-up. If you hadn't seen a ghost, you ever seen a UFO? So we didn't see anything, but the sky for sure turned green, and there was, like, a weird noise. And that was that was Whoa. kind of it, and it was insane. And it was so frustrating because it was like that. It was just that moment, you know, and you can't go back to anyone else. But did you see it? Did you see it? Because like it was just like a three second yeah. snap of the finger sort of thing. That's wild, man! It's crazy how I would say more often than not. I and Zach, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like more people have either seen a ghost or seen a UFO than haven't. Of all the it's- people we've talked to. It's been a pretty small my minority of people who have just been like, yeah, no, nothing. The world yeah. presents itself to me exactly as it should be. I know exactly <laughs> what's going on here, and there's nothing yeah. mysterious about this world. This <laughs> is normal. Everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. We're on a rock floating in uh, ever-expanding infinity. God, don't make me think about it anymore. That's uh, there's a great. Uh, I would strongly recommend looking it up. One of my favorite comedy bits ever is um, Pete Holmes has a bit where he talks about how nothing makes sense. Nothing, nothing at all makes sense. He's like, we're in a rock floating in infinity, and infinity is expanding. That doesn't make sense. We're all made of the same molecules, and when I touch a chair, my the only reason science says that my hand doesn't move through that chair is we don't know. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Not nothing makes sense. Like just, it's wild when you start like looking into some of the crazy science of things. Is even if you go as deep as like quantum stuff and string theory, nothing makes sense. Everything's confusing. <laughs> totally, and I'm fine with that. I I take a lot yeah. of peace in not knowing things. Yeah, you know, this is this is the issue that I have a lot with like. The, freaking we're two hours deep i can say it now with like like kyle bodie and the driveline folks sometimes where it's just like some Get of up. this where it's the whole oh, the, maybe potential future guest kyle Bode. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, which, so the whole like adapt or die 
type thing is there's there's an obsession and this is speaks to the entire analytics movement as a whole in baseball there's an obsession with needing to know everything to needing to know exactly mm. what causes what and what the percentages are and sometimes i like i like it better when i don't know when you take the k zone off of the tv it's a lot better when you don't know exactly oh my God. for sure I'm you know, I'm Team Zach on that. I think so, I think the K zone has ruined our brain. So we bad. need to get rid of the K zone on the screen. So right, because then we because yeah. then I think without the K zone, you start realizing realizing exactly how hard it is to be an umpire. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> you don't have you, that K zone. <laughs> and why a pitch that's this far off the plate is not a missed call? Like, exactly. Yeah, that drives like, me insane. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I see. I do see that. And sometimes it's okay not to know. And I think it would be a much more, I don't know, a nicer, nicer, kinder, more comfortable world, and certainly more kinder and comfortable baseball world if we were a little more okay with not knowing sometimes. Yeah, um, fully agree. Of things that are not quite of the natural, though, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Boring answer, but it's got to be fine. There's no, I guess the only one I think I could put in that realm would be teleporting, but the act of flying would be cooler than just It's that. so funny you say that because we talked about this last episode and we talked about, I, I, there's, I, I, I still don't remember who it was, but it was some comedian who had a bit. It was like, the superpower you want's flying, you don't even run. Like, you want to <laughs> run in the air? Like, don't lie to me. <laughs> Listen, I'm in, I'm in. The- Peak physical shape. And, uh, <laughs> I'm entering well, it's something I never ride. thought of. I never thought of like how physically exerting it might be to have the flying superpower. Like I, for I always thought like, oh, you just float and it's easy. But like, what if it is running in the sky? And you're like, <laughs> you know what? I'm tired. I need to land. <laughs> so okay, I I was having this conversation with someone recently too, where I was looking at bird and I was like, do birds understand? Like, I guess the easiest way to say it. Is flying still cool for birds, or is it just like <laughs> inherent? You know, like do they ever fly for just enjoyment? Basically, oh right, or are they, or is it always just going from point eight? Or there are there like joyriders who yeah. are just like are you birds, know Sunday are drivers birds who just like to fly the way that some humans like to go for a walk. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I wonder. That's a great question. I have no idea. There's no way we'll ever know. It's probably impossible to know. Flash forward like five hours, my head is on my pillow, eyes wide open. Two birds. <laughs> you, see, you see a bird and he's like, cool. where's he going? Is he... You're going to Google like, do birds get it? <laughs> <laughs> Google's going to be like, go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> take some melatonin or something, dude. You need, you need some help. Um, all right. I want to ask one last question before we get to the final. Uh, oh, we lost Matthew. Oh, no. Oh no, we were so Not close. Listeners, I'm sure we will come back. back. <laughs> we'll, we can cut some of this stuff as we wait for him. He's probably yeah, like, oh my god. It's more fun when it's the guest riffing with one of us than it is just the two of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> gives a about us. I think it's awesome um, because when it happens, the guest is always just like, oh, I don't know what to do now. But <laughs> oh, there you are. Hey, Matthew. Abs- absolutely brutal. I I used my phone oh, to good, avoid dude. this exact thing, and we got an hour and fifty-five in. <laughs> it's all good. We can cut stuff. Um, I'll uh um, yeah. The well, so we only got us. I got a second to last question for you, and then we're gonna get to the final okay. little section. So the second to last question. Tell me about a time in which you laughed really, really hard. 
Maybe it's the hardest you've ever laughed. Maybe it's oh, just man. a time where tears are coming down your face. You're laughing super hard. Uh, maybe somebody fell down or farted. Maybe you're at a you funeral. Really it can be the dumbest thing. It does not have to be a good part. story. Uh, Maybe you're at a wedding or you're in church or you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be laughing and something funny happens. Yeah. Tell me, tell me that story. When you said that. A bunch of things come to mind when you say that. One of them, I was on some illicit substances, so I'm going to avoid that one. I got gotcha. the best. The first time I ever remember laughing so hard that I cried, I was probably like six or seven years old. And we were at like, I was at like a party with like my parents' friends. It was one of those things where it's like you get kind of dragged. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Want to go? And I was like, oh, this sucks. But then there was like, this the house where the party was had a backyard and there was like this person outside. She's like a younger woman. In my head, like at the time, she was like a full-on adult, you know, but she was probably like 23 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Like in hindsight, she was also probably bored at a party and was just like, I'm going to go outside. And <laughs> so she was throwing like a tennis ball with her friend like this house there was a dog who lived there so like the tennis balls for the dog and these girls just picked it up and were throwing it back and forth and then they're playing catch basically and then one girl picks up the ball like rares back to like throw it harder like they were just playing casually for a while and she's like all right i'm gonna throw it as hard as i can <laughs> and she threw it and basically like spiked it the way you would like <laughs> spike a fastball and it hit the dog, <laughs> just laying still, minding its own business. <laughs> it, hit, it hit the dog like square in the ribs, so hard from like no more than five feet away. It was so funny. It was so then it so looks like she just nailed the dog for no reason. Exactly. And there's so many layers to it. Like I'm not thinking this as a seven year old or whatever, but like now I'm thinking about it, like. Yeah, it looks like she was just wound up and like drilled these people's dogs. The dog, the dog is gonna think that they did that on purpose. Dogs don't understand mistakes. They just think the right. human picked up the ball and threw it at them as hard as they could. And and then the one that I think I did have going through my mind at the time, but I didn't process was like, oh yeah, adults can like make like adults can fuck up like adults can. Yeah. Do stuff like that. Like you never see that when you're that young. You think all adults oh my god, yeah, do everything right, and then you see someone throw a tennis ball as hard as they can into a dog. And I, <laughs> like, I truly remember, like it was out of like a movie scene. I like fell over and started laughing <laughs> so hard. And I, I think my parents were like, "Wow, you, you, we've never seen you laugh like that." <laughs> I think that, might, that might that might be the hardest we've laughed secondhand at one. That's of these. that's great. <laughs> I, that's that's amazing to picture because it's just like from an outsider's perspective, you're just like watching these two women just like casually toss a tennis ball, and the one of them's like, you know what? Screw exactly. this dog. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, exactly. spike it into his ribs. This dog deserves that. Was, I haven't thought of that in years, and then this your question made me think of it. So thank you, thank that's you, Zach. And hilarious. That's hilarious. All right. I want to get to the last section of the podcast that we call the full count. We are going to ask you for a recommendation in each of five categories. Three and two, full count. Oh, beautiful. Uh, we uh, always preface this by saying um, the recommendation does not have to be anything obscure or special or whatever. It's literally as little pressure as possible. First thing that pops in your head, that's what I want to hear. So with that in mind. The very first category 
is books. What is a book that you would recommend? You know, as a, as a writer, I should read a lot more than I do. <laughs> I'm really, I really don't read very much. Uh, but a book that I read that I really liked was called Tonight I'm Someone Else by Chelsea Hodson. It's like a series of essays, basically, like each chapter is like a 10-page essay, basically. Some of them are shorter, some of them are probably longer than that. But it's really good. That was the last book I read that like stuck with me. Because I'm usually a nonfiction guy. Like I'm like classic yeah. straight guy. Like most of my books are like sports, music, you know, like I'm reading about real things that happen. I really struggle with novels. So don't come to me with novels of recommendation. But if you want to just like read, like a good read, check out Tonight I'm Someone Else. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds cool. Good and straightforward. So number two in the full count is a food recommendation. That can be an ingredient, a meal, a dish, a restaurant, you know, anything vaguely food related. Absolutely. I So coming from Seattle, I think our number one cuisine is just Asian as a group. A lot of good Asian food in Seattle. Uh, I've been in New York now for about two months and I found, I didn't find it actually, a friend took me there, but I found... Asian food that I thought rivaled, or at least filled the spot in my heart that I was looking for. And I don't even know the name of the restaurant, but it was like a, a Xi'an noodle place. I don't know if I'm saying right. X-I-A-N, which I thought oh, was the name of the restaurant. Xi'an, huh. perhaps? Yes. I thought it was the name of the restaurant. Turns out, I think, it's just a type of noodle. And it's really good. It's like the like egg, like the wide egg noodle. Uh, used, like the one I got had like a bunch of like chopped up meat in it i'm sure you can get it vegetarian too but if you want like because for me asian food is comfort food i don't know if it's the same for other people but i think it's just sure where i'm from so if you need that especially as the weather gets colder i really like it like you know, like hot noodles in your belly on a cold day is just oh yeah i would recommend if your city has good jean noodles x-i-a-n and again i apologize if i'm saying that totally wrong i have no <laughs> idea how to pronounce that so yeah but I would tell everyone, just Google that plus whatever city you live in and see what you can find. Hmm. I, I might have to do that. Um, it, the joy of New York City is finding a bunch of really dope food places where like, you can't even find the name of the restaurant if you actually try it. I know. It. Oh, my God. Oh, I, times yeah. That's, that's, I, that's the joy. I mean, I only went to... I only kind of roamed around New York City looking for a place to eat once uh, years ago when I went up to see The Tonight Show, and I stumbled into the most like incredible chicken parm place I've ever been to. Mm. It was just like this tiny little place called Parm in Little Italy, and they had chicken parm sandwiches for like eight bucks, and they were incredible. I just It's the beauty That's of the so city. That's so uh, so I've been in, I think I've mentioned a couple of times. I've only been in New York for two months, but I know exactly what that place is. Cause I walked oh, you know Parm? in Italy and I, I just remember laughing. Like, this place is called Parm. Like, I thought that was so <laughs> yeah, funny. Just, oh, I, know, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That's it was hilarious. delicious. It's, it's just <laughs> some of the most fantastic, like just a little chicken Parm sandwich in a, uh, in a basket. And it's fantastic. It's so good. We were just like stumbling around New York city looking for, uh, something to eat and just kind of wound up there. Find something to eat in New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were. No yeah, that was there. a whole. Yeah, no food at all. For I mean, blocks and blocks, we couldn't find a thing. It was just 
Tenement House all after stops. Tenement House. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, the next category in the full count, movies and or TV. What is a movie and or a TV show that you would recommend? Sure. Yeah, I'll give you both. The last TV show that I watched that I really loved was Hacks on HBO. You guys mm. seen this? Mm. No, I don't know. It's great. It's about the basic premise is uh, an older sort of washed up female comedian is like losing her fastball. She has a Vegas residency, but her agent wants to pull it because she's not performing the same way she used to, not getting the same amount of audience, whatever. So they hire a 25 year old girl to write jokes for her and hilarity ensues basically <laughs> huh I, i've never it's heard great. of that it's like truly truly my thing is like i mean this is not splitting the atom here but like any show on hbo it is usually going to have a pretty high floor you know they're never going to yeah yeah so i usually i usually try to check out at least the ones that are like interesting to me on paper like i'm not a big sci-fi or like fantasy person so i usually kind of avoid those but anything based in reality on HBO, I will watch. And Hacks has been the most recent one that I've loved. And also, like, I watched Succession. I'm like everyone else. I like. I I need to. I haven't started that yet. I need to. I need to watch yeah, it. Have man, you? Um, it's too good. It's just that just reminded me of. Have you watched um, Crashing? Did you ever watch that on HBO? I, I watched. I never finished it, but I watched it earlier. And when you brought up Pete Holmes, it reminded me. Yeah. Of, of that show so yes it's, i know crash it's a great show i pete Holmes is one of my favorite comedians and i i love that show um did you have a movie that you wanted to recommend movie yes yes okay this is <laughs> it's not uh it's a movie that came out a long time ago it's like pretty popular people are gonna know it not like a hipster pick at all yeah, yeah. i watched it recently watched it recently on a plane and was just like god this movie rules catch me if you can with leo DiCaprio oh, and oh yeah yeah it's great like they so always good. have that on planes. Why do they always have it on planes? I, it's, it's, it's such a plane it's a focused movie. Plane movie. It really it is, is a plane focused yeah. movie. Yeah, there's there's yeah, a I good bit that about movie. that movie about planes. Yeah, that's a really um that's uh that's Spielberg, isn't it? That's one of like definitely one so. of his better yeah, it's definitely one of his it's just it's super entertaining. Leo DiCaprio is great in it. Uh, and I mean Tom Hanks is also but yeah it's just uh yeah it's it's a wild it's a wild true story with a great screenplay weirdly one of my (laughs) i remember i I saw catch me if you can for the first time probably a year or so ago and i was like man who wrote the screenplay the guy who wrote speed (laughs) two i was like oh well who would have (laughs) thought the guy wrote the thing about that movie it has one of the qualities that I love in a movie, whereas it's a long movie that doesn't feel long. Yes. Like you're watching it and it flies by and then you also realize like, oh, that just killed two and a half hours. Yeah. 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 I don't mind I a movie. Movie, movie. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. mind a movie that's like three. I mean, one of my favorite movies ever is like four hours long. I don't mind a movie that's long as long as it has a reason for being long. Like exactly. there, I cannot, if I'm sitting there going, why is this here? I'm, you know, this isn't, this is too much. Then you don't, your movie doesn't have to be three hours. Yeah. Cause but, I don't yeah. like long movies. My thing I always say when I'm going to movies with my friends is like, you get 90 minutes and then you have to earn the rest of it. 90 <laughs> minutes, I'll pay attention. <laughs> like then you have to really earn the rest of that. Yeah. I like that. Definitely. I mean, that's, 
that's always been my biggest gripe with with Tarantino is that he is the most needlessly long movie. I uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I shouldn't have said that because I know that's going to open too. up another. No, no, no. I, I, I actually, I actually agree with you. I think Pulp Fiction is a, is quite bloated. I think it's a great movie, but we didn't I think need it's two Kill Bill. Sorry, like it was... no, we probably did not. No, <laughs> though both of them are fun. <laughs> they are fun, but we need them and, anyway. Yeah. So you you already gave us a concert that you would have loved to see, but can you give us a general music recommendation uh, of any kind? Happily. Yes, I would love to. Uh, an album. I'll give you an album. An album that I've really loved is called Sawayama. Do you guys know who Rina Sawayama is? Yeah, man. So good. Her. Uh, I don't know where it is in her catalog, like if it's her first, second, third album, whatever, but I believe it's her most recent album just called Sawayama, her last name. Yeah. It's so good. It's like if you like sort of like experimental pop, I think that's the easiest way I describe it. Like there are a lot of like sugary pop songs on there, but then some of them are a little more like out there, like kind of in the like Charlie XCX realm where it's like, yeah, oh, this is kind of like fun. You're pushing the envelope. A lot of like, it feels like you're in like a warehouse raid kind of, but it's like more approachable than that. It's a, it's a really fun album. Yeah. It came out last year. It was, uh, I, I think I had it in my top 50 favorite albums from last year. It's a really, really that's solid. Great really fun album yeah that's a good pull man that's a real good pull that's uh i haven't really heard many people talk about that album that's a great album um i think that i i think i like music equally if not more than sports so i'll I'll talk about music all day oh man we really missed an opportunity there because i uh music was the first thing i fell in love with really and i could i could talk music forever Um, i should have brought that up not (laughs) no 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 it's fine that's fine um we'll have to that just means we'll have to have you back on for a music focused podcast oh no please yeah what a bummer that would be a very embarrassing (laughs) thing about me is that i've been missing podcasts since i I left like a landing i've I've been trying to find a way to scratch the podcast itch which is yeah deeply embarrassing but it's true no, it's it. I have found when we've taken long breaks from this, I'm like, oh, it's nice to be back in this. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. All right, last category. And Ben, how long yeah. do you think if we were to just like start, like stop talking about baseball entirely and just talk about music for like an hour and a half, two hours, how many episodes do you think we could put out before Nick noticed? Oh, <laughs> he doesn't listen. What are you kidding me? Uh, the infinite uh, forever. I mean, but but there are others. There are others who listen who would probably say something about it. But look, that just means we got to launch a music podcast separately. Um, all right, final category of the full count: miscellaneous. Anything from your life that you would recommend to another person? This can be a daily practice, a, a gadget, a person, place, thing, literally an activity, literally anything from your life that you would recommend. And again, like I said, the first thing that pops in your head yeah, is the best one, answer. Have one ready to go. This has been a huge part of my life for years now. I want to make this clear. Pre-pandemic, a lot of you busters started doing this during the pandemic, which is fine. Everyone comes to it at some point. I just want it on the record that I've been doing this for years. Everyone who knows me will agree to this. I am my favorite thing in the world is just walking around. I love going for a walk. Mm. Favorite thing to do, truly ever. 
is just going for a walk. And it gained a lot of popularity during the pandemic, which, you know, <laughs> thrilled me. I was glad to see other people doing it. But I, I just, I caution people against doing it for the wrong reasons. I don't think you should do the thing where like the pandemic did this to a lot of people are like, oh, I need to force myself to go outside for 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Any t- anytime you have to start with, I have to force myself, just don't do You're going to hate it. It's fine yeah. to not, it's fine to not do that thing. If you, if you do like it, then sure, keep doing it. But I love, like, I try to do it every day, usually about an hour. That's usually when I try to get podcast listening in. Cause it's hard to, I can't just sit and listen to a podcast. I don't know about you guys, but I need yeah, to. Yeah, no, no I, I get that. So, like driving, I don't have a car anymore, but like used to be driving, going for a walk or playing video games. So now it's just pretty much only going for a walk. <laughs> and it's great. It's like, it's so nice, especially if you're in a place that you don't know very well. Like mm-hmm. when I was in Boston for the wild card game, I got a little walk in and it was amazing. And then, like, now living in New York, I try to like, go to a new neighborhood and just walk around for an hour or something. And it, it's yeah. never not fun. That's what I'll say. No, you're like, it can be mundane sometimes, but it's never not fun. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of an attitude way thing in that sense where like, if you know what to look for, if, if you're always looking for something, you'll always find something. There'll always be something there. And like, I would actually, I would push back slightly on the, 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 if you have to force yourself, thing as speaking as someone with i have severe task initiation issues where Mm, it's like i know if i get if i it takes a lot for me to force myself to get up and out of the house and when i'm there i'm like i am so glad i did this and i'm walking to the store instead of just getting in my car and driving there and being outside for about you know 30 seconds but overall though i love that answer i like that i that and um janice talking about peloton always comes to mind as like the epitome of the perfect miscellaneous answers yeah and walking it kind of fits the same boat in that it just it encompasses a lot of different uh a lot of different aspects of uh drawing from different areas of life directly. oh i mean my one of my favorite miscellaneous recommendations still was sung min who said use tinder to find friends in new areas (laughs) i've i've been thinking about that like real, just hey, I, I moved to a new town. Yeah, I moved to a yeah, new town. Yeah. I need friends. Hop on Tinder. That was Sung Min's uh, recommendation. Yeah. I was like, that's fun. I don't. Yeah, I never really I thought about really that. Expected. Some, yeah. some of the apps have like a friend version now too. Like I know Bumble has like Bumble BFF, where you can just do it <laughs> without the weird expectation that you're gonna have to date. Like, right. Uh, which is helpful. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, Matthew. I want to thank you so much for being here on Shag and Flies. It was super fun to have you, man. It was great. It was great having you here. Thank you so much for being here. This was this was a lot of fun. I agree. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love being the main character and uh, <laughs> asking me questions for a change. Rather than That's using, right. Like, people's face, so. And you don't have to prepare. And you don't have to prepare. No stats or anything at the yep. Here, here, here.